I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of October 2021, and we are in the midst of our third annual Kyle's Killer October. (laughs) (laughs) Essentially what this means is uh, Kyle, uh, who supplied the DJ horns just now, uh, will be taking charge of all of our uh, programming decisions throughout the month of October. Kyle is what you would call a, a horror head. He's a horror guy. Uh, he's a big fan of horror cinema. And uh, the theme for this year extends not only into horror cinema, but more specifically, uh, we've been covering horror-themed musicals. Uh, so we began the month with a review of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which was a first-time experience for me, so kind of a big deal. Uh, then we followed that up with The Little Shop of Horrors, uh, first-time viewing for kyle so again kind of a big deal uh, and then this week we we bounced it back the other way uh and this week we are reviewing sweeney todd the demon barber of fleet street uh from 2007 directed by of course tim burton and uh this is a first time viewing for myself uh but kyle uh, as it so happens is actually kind of a big fan of this one. Oh yeah <laughs> yeah uh kyle was very excited to get into this one in fact he told me just before we started recording uh this kind of brought his spirits up a little bit this this very morbid horror musical brought brought him to a better place uh, mentally and psychologically yeah uh, ho- uh scary movies horror movies do that for me in october because that's what i want to be watching and this was like ah oh, this has kind of got me back into the watching scary movies uh groove i did rewatch uh, the 2018 halloween in preparation for uh halloween kills uh but this was this was another one that i like to watch around halloween time uh, yeah, so Sweeney Todd 2007, uh, I actually saw this in the theater with a friend, um, I actually stayed awake the whole time, um, and I actually saw this after I watched Rocky Horror Picture Show, and I did like Rocky Horror Picture Show, but this was the, this was the musical that, like, kind of got me into liking some musicals, because I had seen, I think, All That Jazz, uh, Chicago, I think there was a couple more, and I just was, it just wasn't my thing, it's just not, not, not really what I want to watch, it's still really not, uh, but this one, uh, this one kind of uh, allowed me to appreciate musicals a bit more, uh, and this one is an outlier from any of the horror movies that I've seen, this is graphically violent, uh, and is very, very, and it's very, very dark, and a bit of a Greek tragedy, spoiler alert. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Big spoiler alert. Um, not a big deal. If you're familiar with the show format, you would have seen that coming. But yeah, no shit. <laughs> um, yeah, this does have a very uh, traditional Greek tragedy format to it. Um, I.e., basically everybody involved meets a tragic end by the by the time we come to curtains. But um, in addition to that, though, I think it's really cool that uh, the placement of this particular review because uh, Rocky Horror and Little Shop of Horrors both kind of have like a I don't know, uh, a more modern feel to them, like mm-hmm. in their instrumentation and their arrangement of their songs, there's more of like a, a rock or a blues vibe to them. Uh, and both of them lean very heavily into like 1950s Americana imagery and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and iconography. Whereas this is extraordinarily British. Um, but in addition to that, uh, it the sound of it is very, very traditional. Like, mm-hmm. like I was remarking to the girlfriend while I was watching it that uh, I could almost like feel the the presence of the orchestra pit mm-hmm. like po- posted up in front of the stage, even though I'm watching a movie, just because the instrumentation is you know traditional classical instruments, 
as opposed to again that rock sound that, that we got from those two previous movies so this felt like more what like i would think in like big ass quotation marks a musical generally sounds like like if you toss the the horror theme out the window that is but yeah uh, this this is this adaptation of it is highly graphic uh i for one really appreciated that yes um, because <laughs> uh, all all the musicals we've uh, we've reviewed this month, and I assume all of them through the end of the month, will feature some form of grisly violence here and there. Only yeah. difference is this one has uh, lots of bloodletting. Yes. Uh, whereas Little Shop of Horrors had people getting eaten left and right, but the presence Little of the, shop, the gooey red stuff shop of still there, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's still there. Every time I hear every time I hear the name, I say it. I have to go through the chorus a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it is an earworm, and I yeah. I love it for that. But um, real quick, Kyle, like, what would you say is your favorite uh, musical? Like, regardless of like horror theme or not, like, wh- if you had to pick a favorite musical film, what do you think it would be? I think this would probably be it, uh, just because it's the one that that helped me kind of appreciate musicals. I do really have a soft spot for Grease, though. Uh, it's just it, it it's spectacular. It's the it's the cor- one of the corniest things I've ever seen, but it it's it's enjoyable uh, because of that. Um, but I think it's kind of neck and neck between this and Rocky Horror Picture Show. I think on the whole, I think this is a better movie, like an actual story, which I think makes it better. Um, but I like the positivity and a, li- a little bit more of the positivity and the themes of Rocky Horror Picture Show than than here. Okay, that that's that's a fair comparison. Um, yeah, it, for me personally, it's funny because like I I don't think of myself as that much of a musical guy, um, I'm, I'm and I, I feel I feel like I have yet to see my favorite musical because like at this moment, Little Shop of Horrors is probably the one that I would point to, but I feel like I know of other ones that I just haven't experienced yet that probably would would beat that one out. Like for instance, uh. Uh, Streets of Fire is one I've I've desperately wanted to see for a very long time now. I have not seen Grease, but oh, y- buddy, y- young young John Travolta <laughs> is a selling point. I really do I do want to check that out. He <laughs> is magnetic in that movie. Like it's it it really is. It's special. Uh, you sh- you should really watch that. I I have no doubts that your girlfriend would love to watch that with you. Uh, I'm I'm fairly certain that would be the case. Uh, I'm sure she knows it frontwards and backwards, but I'd very much like to check that out and Streets of Fire as well. And uh, the the last five years uh, is a show that I actually worked on as a stagehand. I, I worked the rotating table uh, for a, like a solid like five six performances in a row of it, but I've never actually like spectated a performance of it, nor have I seen the movie. Um, but because I was bombarded with that like. I don't know six shows in a row or something. I know I, that's a musical I actually intimately know, uh, so I probably should get around to checking that one out. But well, the other thing about musicals is like watching film adaptations are, are one thing, uh, but how a film adaptation of a musical and an actual like going to see the show musical are two entirely different things. So you're you kind of appreciate different like little differences. Like Grease is just a corny fun movie, whereas we uh, my. Uh, my girlfriend and I went and watched uh, Matilda. Uh, they had a like a stage show of Matilda. Um, I don't know if you remember Californication, the redheaded dude that d- likes to do coke a lot. Uh, do you remember him? He was like, he was the British dude. Oh, he, that guy from the late seasons. Yeah, yeah, the later yeah. seasons. He wrote he wrote Matilda, uh, oh. the, the musical, and 
it was fine. It was fun. Miss Trunchbull was pretty cool, played by a guy, so it was kind of funny. Um, <laughs> but it was more impressive just to see like these like ten to twelve year old kids do all this choreography and singing up on stage. Like it was more impressive from that aspect than it was like actually enjoying the show. Wow. Yeah, I could totally see that being dazzling, especially considering I I think the uh, original stage version of Sweeney Todd, uh, the Toby character, I think was played by an adult. Uh, because yeah, twelve-year-old kids doing complex choreography over the course of like a two to three-hour show—that's that's asking a lot. <laughs> flawless, flawless is the other thing. Yeah. Well, hopefully they got some orange slices in between. Uh, acts. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. Uh, just to give a little background on uh, Sweeney Todd, apparently the the character uh, has its origins in literature. Uh, not something I was aware of, but. Uh, the character had its origins in the Penny Dreadfuls, which were basically just like uh, penny novels or just just like little like kitschy horror stories and whatnot from a from a certain age. So apparently it was like 1850s ish that this character first emerged in literature. Um, and then uh, it's probably most famously known uh, for the Stephen Sondheim stage production, the musical from which this film was adapted. And that came out in 1979. It was a smashing success. Uh, some of the people involved in the production, some of the names was... I had a grand old time checking out the original cast recording because, like, uh, put it this way, uh, Angela Lansbury uh, plays, uh, <laughs> plays our, our lead female vocalist, and that was, uh, that was pretty awesome. Um, but in addition to that, um, what's-his-face? Uh, Victor Garber. Uh, he's a, I think he's a, a Canadian actor, but um, he was... Uh, he was the guy who built the Titanic in the in the James Cameron Titanic movie, and uh, oh yes, I, yeah, featured I very prominently on the TV show Alias. Mm. Uh, apparently, he played uh, a- Anthony or Anthony uh, in the original Broadway version of the show, mm. and I was just like, oh wow! And uh, Len Carreyou, or uh, that may be how you pronounce his name, uh, originally portrayed Sweeney Todd, and I actually did take it upon myself to listen to a little bit of the 1979 original cast recording and it is very very different from this movie version um they're both quite good in their own right but just drastically different is all um but kyle you said there was a little bit of like a casting controversy by the time we got to the 2007 uh, film adaptation yeah apparently i forgot who who had the rights to this but uh whoever owned the rights to this was very particular about uh who they were going to cast because they didn't, they didn't really want a film adaptation, and when uh, it was greenlit for Tim Burton to do, he was like, I absolutely have to have Johnny Depp. Uh, and uh, he ended up practicing, not, not with a vocal coach, but I think a producer or something, um, and he got his voice to where it needed to be. Um, Helena Bottom Carter, I'm not sure about her, but uh, <laughs> uh, Joanna, the girl who, sing, who does Joanna, uh, they were like, yeah, she sings really well, but she doesn't look, apparently on IMDb, uh, it says she doesn't look like she's very young, and she sent them pictures of her without makeup, and they're like, okay, perfect. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I was wondering, I'm like, was it supposed to be Christina Ricci? Like, I feel like this could have easily been Christina Ricci, and she was young enough. Like, I think she probably could have pulled it off. Uh, may, I get the feeling that uh, for the young folks uh, in this film version, they wanted to make sure that they had people with pipes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that Christina Ricci has any vocal training in her in her history as an actress. 
Um, this gal definitely has for sure the the goods. Yeah. Um, in fact, I don't even know if she was a film actress at this point. I'm pretty sure the 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 boy that they had play Toby, and for sure the fellow that plays Anthony, um, were mostly stage actors and mostly musical actors at the at that point. Uh, the dude who plays Anthony is like the son of like a record producer or some shit like that. So. <laughs> both uh kyle and i have feelings uh in yeah. regards to, An- to An- antony uh yeah he's the, uglier the... than mick jagger like it's insane like and mick jagger's ugly <laughs> at any point in his life he's one of the ugliest people that's ever lived and this kid is uglier than him yeah uh jamie campbell bauer uh yeah. portrays antony in the film version but um interestingly enough uh so Tim Burton, as far as I know, like, you know, in terms of, like, traditional musicals, like, I I really can't think of stuff that he's done. I mean, Henry Selleck technically directed Nightmare Before Christmas, which, yeah. of course, has a very strong musical component. Music is often a key component of a lot of Tim Burton films. Like, well, like they, they generally have a vibe and a feel to them, and you can tell that some of some elements of the texture and the edit of his film is is brought upon by the the musical soundscape that that he's working with um even like mars attacks makes use makes use of tom jones as a pivotal plot point (laughs) um but at this point in his his filmography aside from being involved in the production of nightmare before christmas i don't know that he'd ever done a musical Um, nor has nor has he really since although you could argue that uh you know charlie and the chocolate factory does have some Mm. musical numbers uh, I wouldn't classify it as a musical film, but no. uh, point is, this was kind of uncharted territory for him. But what's fascinating is that apparently he was very familiar and a fan of the stage show. Uh, he saw it apparently when he was a young man, uh, and it stuck with him. and And this was probably one of the rare projects that he was he was excited to get in on. Like he mm-hmm. had wanted to do this for quite a while, and I think it kind of shows on the screen. Like you can you can see that like there was some love brought to the table for this one, um, and and a little exercise that I've really been enjoying this past month is a uh, just taking a look at where so- certain people are at in their career when they do certain things. Like I I think of it as like taking a look at be- the before and the after, because like placing placing a product in context I think is very important. Um, so in Tim Burton's case. Uh, Sweeney Todd came out in 2007, which places it sandwiched squarely between uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and The Corpse Bride in 2005, um, and Alice in Wonderland in 2010. Is Corpse Bride uh, any good? I haven't. I don't know if I've heard anything about it. Neither have I. Um, I probably should see it just because of the stop motion aspect of it, but it's not one that I've seen. Um, however, this was. These are all obviously. Uh, Johnny Depp and Tim Burton productions, uh, so they were still firmly working together. But I, I think it's interesting that we have in 2005 Charlie and the Chocolate Factory that probably made boatloads of money, but didn't do so well critically. Corpse Bride that apparently nobody remembers, and then we go into Sweeney Todd, and then three years pass and we get Alice in Wonderland, which very similar to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, cleaned the fuck up at the box office, and probably made no one all that happy from a critical standpoint whereas johnny depp uh was in the middle of probably the biggest the highest of highs uh in his career in terms of like mainstream celebrity because i mean prior to prior 
prior to pirates, like the man kind of made a habit out of staying out of of your your mainstream blockbuster type cinema. And then we get into pirates territory, and by the time you get into two thousand seven, the trilogy is wrapping up, and it's just like Disney is just like throwing throwing money at him, mm-hmm. and and you can tell it was probably weighing on on him a bit. But yeah, in two thousand seven. Uh, he has nothing but pirates before that. In fact, in the same fucking year. Yeah. Um, and then after that, two years pass, and we get him and Michael Mann in Public Enemies, which, Ugh. I I don't particularly like. I do not. Uh, like I like that. Mike. I I do like Michael Mann. I do like Johnny Depp for the most part, but I did not care much for that movie. I think Johnny Depp might be on uh on his way to a very interesting uh third act here in his career because I'm looking at some of the movies he's got coming out. Um. Well, like after this came out, he did uh, more of the Pirates movies, but he did Black Mass, which was excellent. Uh, you said uh, D- Dark Shadows. There's not really much. Like, there's a few things here and there, and then some crap, then some shit. He uh, <laughs> said Murder Murder on the Orient Express for like a minute, but he's got a couple that look awesome. Uh, what is this? Waiting for the Barbarians from 2019. That looked fascinating. Uh, I don't know anybody who's seen it, but I remember the promotion for it. It looked kind of interesting. And uh, Minamata from 2020, apparently he's getting very high praise uh, for that performance. So as much as much as the, the public perception of these two figures tends to veer towards the negative, honestly, I don't think they're doing that bad. Mm-hmm. And, and something that I was pointing out to Kyle before we started recording that I thought was fascinating is Tim Burton has certainly had some lows in his career he's certainly had some dips but it never it never seems to reach a point where it becomes a trend where Mm -hmm. he consistently has poor showings it seems like it's just isolated instances or just like brief dips as opposed to like straight up like years of agony (laughs) yeah right so even though dumbo is officially his last film and nobody seems to be a huge fan of it uh that was 2019 and you know time marches forward so you know, I, I have high hopes for both of them, actually. I, I think they both still have something to offer. Uh, Johnny Depp in particular, actually. Like, I, I think given the right circumstances and given the opportunity to stay out of the public light for a little while yeah, and to clear his head, you know, I, I think he's still got the goods. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll see. But anyway, we should probably get into the movie. Yeah. Um, I mentioned our cast. We got Johnny Depp playing Benjamin Barker slash Sweeney Todd. Uh, Helena Bottom Carter, of course, playing Mrs. Lovett. Alan Rickman playing Judge Turpin, um, and Timothy Spall, uh, one of my favorite character actors, uh, playing Beetle. I had it written down as Beetle Bailey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's not right. And it took me about halfway through the movie when I heard him say his last name. I'm like, oh, Beetle Bailey's a comic strip. That is not <laughs> this character. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Alan Rickman and Timothy Spall, like that's a that's good. If you just get Oliver Platt in here, that is the that is a pretty good trifecta. <laughs> and I just imagine, I don't know, like uh, Ray Winstone wanders onto the set and just <laughs> just like makes a fart noise, and everybody's just like, oh, Was that <laughs> oh God, who invited him? <laughs> He's like, oh, what's going on over here? <laughs> I think you need to. <laughs> I think you need to watch The Departed to get that Indiana Jones 4 out of your mouth. Uh, I, yeah, that's a good that's way a good to do idea. it. That, a, that movie's always a good idea. All it, three fucking hours of it. <laughs> pretty much that and Goodfellas, it, it, those are huge palate cleansers. No matter what's going on in your life, whatever's happening, 
go through those two movies and nothing's as bad as what's happening to those characters. <laughs> Actually, I've got good news. Um, uh, I got Annika on board to check out uh, Alien and Aliens this month. So. Oh. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you killed my father? Oh, yes. Uh. <laughs> uh, so, here, I'll give the plot summary. Yes, thank I'll you. Try my, I'll try my best. Uh, so, Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street from 2007, directed by Tim Burton, uh, is the story of a uh, former barber who is now resuming his uh, profession as a barber, returning to the streets of London after being uh, impris- wrongfully imprisoned. Uh, he goes through a transformation of sorts, and now he has a, a little bit of a uh, Count of Monte Cristo-esque trajectory plotted out for himself, a plan of revenge yeah. against those who robbed him of his family and wrongfully imprisoned him. Uh, throats are slit, people are rendered unto pies, mm-hmm. and uh, many other nu- numerous merry mishaps ensue. Um, this is a, a, a time in in history where one of the last places I would want to be is prison. So I'm sure he went through the ringer uh, in prison. I can't imagine what that was like. It was probably I just imagine it was constantly cold, like all the time cold, no matter what. You were cold all the time and malnourished. Uh, but yeah, if you had not seen this movie before. The first five minutes would be concerning as far as CGI is, because you're just like, oh my god, it's mostly CGI, the first five minutes of this movie. Yeah, I, I could see that being the case. Uh, folks at home, this has been brought up numerous times, but Kyle, Kyle's not a big fan of computer-generated imagery. No. Um, at least in film, anyway. It, it just, it, 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 it nags at him. Yeah. It, it's, it's like a splinter that you can't quite get out. <laughs> it's just it's bothersome it's blade runner 2049 aside yes <laughs> uh, but it yeah, we... has its application but yes the, yes the opening couple of minutes here are are very computerized it's very much well, computer imagery during our opening credits for sure well we don't have to spend a lot of time like uh we do get like a cgi like old london like foggy london town and it's dark. Like, this is a really dark London. But we don't really spend any time throughout the city. We're pretty much just kind of confined to the sets, which is good. So we're not spending a lot of time with the CGI. But, yeah, we get a, we get the opening, um, not to Fleet Street yet. We get introduced to Anthony singing No Place Like London, our first uh, first um, song. Uh, and yeah. I like how Sweeney Todd just comes in all emo, just like... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, in fact, he 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 literally comes in all emo because like we have this this handsome young man with this beautiful well, tenor voice. He's a young man who's young, you know. <laughs> he's not there for me, Kyle. Just yeah. tell him. <laughs> but I don't know who he's he, there for. He, he's yeah, honestly. Uh, <laughs> um, he's he's singing about the the wonders of London, how there's no place like London, how I've I've seen all the world. I am a sailor, gosh darn it, not not with that complexion, <laughs> no sir. Um, oh, no. But um, but yeah, Sweeney Todd just like steps into yeah. the foreground <laughs> of the shot, and he's like, "There's no place like London." Yeah, and this is where we get we get the little backstory through song. Uh, there was a barber and his wife, and we learned that he was the barber and his wife. Or he ends up getting uh, knocked on the head and sent to prison because Alan Rickman's got a full blown boner for his wife. Uh, we kind of leave it that, so we just kind of know that that's what happened. Yeah, he's wearing some Goblin King pants in this movie, but oh yeah, he is. No, no, they, they are not the same shade. They are no. not gray Goblin pants. No Bowie but there bulge. There is a package. Yeah. There is a lump. 
Yeah. <laughs> Those are always the most concerning. I'd rather just see a nice, good bulge as opposed to, I don't even know what the fuck that is, dude. It's like it, it, the way it... The way it separated things is very strange on Rick. I mean, the the way the type of relationship he has with the Beatle, it's like you would think at some point he's like, "Sir, you might want to get that checked out." <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, this it's not I meant lost. to be a bump next to a bump. <laughs> I lost half of my penis in law school. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's just like, yeah fucking judge and uh he's just like all right i'm off to fleet street and this is where we get our super cgi also i was looking at this super cgi thing uh like just how they rendered london and i'm like you are 100 percent going to get robbed on your way to fleet street i've never been more sure of anything in my entire life because <laughs> it looks so dangerous i'm like i would not i definitely would not be out past dark uh in london at this time yeah, it's like Johnny Depp. You're handsome, and I know you have that shock of white through your hair. It might be a, like a little bit intimidating, but you're but a not soft to boy. The Ray, yeah, not to the Ray Winstones of the world. No. <laughs> not to the men with heads more more akin to pumpkins than human heads. You're gonna have three gravelly voiced drunks uh, just accost you on your like. It's like the second street off of that main drag there. So yeah. Um, yeah, we get our awful CGI rendering going through uh, through the streets, and we get like this blood, like the the blood dripping and going through the cranks and stuff and all that. It's it's foreshadowing to the, the yeah. apparatus that will be conceived later on in the film. But I I did like uh, I like I really enjoyed the cinematography in a couple of instances here. One was uh, the flashback during the No Place in Lo- Like London uh, number where. He's telling the tale of how he was wrongfully imprisoned and how the horny judge took his gal uh, and his daughter, his baby daughter, from him. Um, and there's that soft focus effect. It's the only. It's one of the only sequences, aside from maybe the beach uh, dream sequence, yeah. uh, where the color palette is fairly natural. The rest yeah. of the movie is like borderline monochromatic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it looks like a nightmare. It looks very Tim Burton-y early. Tim Burton. like sleepy hollow it's it's on par with that yeah and we're not that far from removed from that um yeah, and reasonable. johnny depp is relative like kind of using the same affect <laughs> like it like it has a similar flavor in fact i'm pretty sure they borrowed some of the same makeup techniques that you applied to christina ricci and just put them on the uh, joanna's actor actress because she's, she's got she, that weird blonde eyebrow thing going i was gonna say I'm not that, a fan <laughs> maybe that that's why i was thinking christina ricci should have played this part because she looks like christina ricci in sleepy hollow exactly i mean tim burton we you and i have gone back and forth yeah i don't even know why we haven't even reviewed that many tim burton movies but we've we've talked about tim burton's preferences a yeah. lot and yeah. i never tire of it because it's like i mean was it lisa marie definitely floats his boat yeah all of his boats uh, most people's boats, in fact. Um, but Sleepy Hollow, the combination of Sleepy Hollow and now Sweeney Todd, it's like, okay, so he he, he digs the, the the bleach blonde eyebrows and cleavage. Yes. These, these and lar- very large eyes, of course. These elements combined with, with gothic dress really, really, really work for Tim Burton. <laughs> yeah, well, I think when he saw Ava Green, he's like, yes, yes, I am <laughs> making movies with this woman. <laughs> Well, I mean, if you're doing it straight up Tim Burton, it'd be like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's much better. Um, but um, yeah. Other, other part of the cinematography I wanted to point out was uh, 
the uh, the melodies in this movie and and in the the musical version uh, are really awesome. Uh, they do so much to convey uh, both emotional and mental state uh, for all the characters, but also just yeah. like the the style of instrumentation and the pacing of of the music does a lot to like give like build a skeleton for the scene, I guess, because when when he arrives at Fleet Street, there's that moment where he's saying goodbye to Antony. And like, of course, you know, the fresh faced young lad is approaching the city as like, you know, ripe with opportunity. And then there's Sweeney Todd, who's looking at is like returning to the the worst place in the fucking world. Yeah. But then he like he stomps off and he has that really awesome moment where he there's that uh, chorus that he recites to himself. About there, there's a whole the world. Yes, there's, there's a, a hole, hole in the world like a big black pit who are filled with people who are filled with shit. Yes, and the cinematography and the editing uh, speed up to match the energy of his of his recitation. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get that shot just like rushing down the street that so so perfectly marries uh, with with him, like the intensity rising within him. I thought that was a really neat touch. Yeah, I like that line, and I'm glad that we don't overuse it. He just he yes, mentions it yes. in the he mentions it in the song, and then he kind of just kind of grumbles it as he's going in. And I think he might mention it one other time, but yeah, I like how it's just it's just a couple of times. Yes, it the, it's used sparingly and very very effectively because it's used to punctuate m- moments of I don't know him him acknowledging the darkest parts of himself. And yeah. like like I said, a lot a lot of the arrangement of the songs in this do a very good job of kind of just like having people talk out their their emotions and their thought process and he only gets to that point a couple of times and it stands to reason you'd only be capable of getting to that point a few times in, in a lifetime um, but yeah that was pretty cool but uh shortly thereafter does he go into the pie shop yeah he goes off to fleet street and he goes back to his old apartment uh and he's down at the pie shop uh which is where he meets mrs lovett uh helena bottom carter bottom carter uh and this is the worst pies in london song which is a fun one i i like this little this little bit uh she's like killing bugs and she's talking about i didn't notice it until this time where she's talking about what she makes the pies out of pussycat <laughs> she's making yeah. cat pies I, uh, I like the remark about how you know damn those cats are fast yeah. like you don't catch them every time you know? <laughs> yeah uh she's uh she gives him a pie and it's disgusting and she gives him some ale and she's like it's gonna take a lot more a lot more of that to get that taste out because it's pretty disgusting um but she ends up talking to him uh she's like yeah there's an apartment up above uh it's supposedly haunted um and i think she's talking to him and maybe in the other room like in her her other room and yeah, there, there's like a living area and she points out that she doesn't go upstairs because it's supposed to be haunted but uh, i will point out kyle <laughs> It was it was the worst pies in London. Um, right after that number, that I got a, a nudge from the girlfriend about turning on the subtitles, please. Ah, yeah. <laughs> because the the accents in this film are such that to to our dumb American ears, we need a little help sometimes, especially when it comes to her character, yeah, Mrs. Lovett in particular. Just her her diction, her pronunciation is a little different <laughs> yeah it's a little difficult uh nowhere near uh 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 oh gosh under the skin where it was impossible uh oh. I, <laughs> I tried there's a certain actor i tried watching in the loop because uh, i'm a huge veep fan and apparently the writer for veep was in loop there's a there's a british actor 
who I never understand what the fuck he's saying because he talks so fast. And he enunciates in a weird way. I'll find out his name, but uh um, Yeah, you find out who that is. I will point out that the 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 dad from the the Vivich, the witch. Oh, he's an audible. Yeah, you cannot make up what uh, he's saying. Yeah, that that is not human speech. Like he isn't he is an ogre. <laughs> it's like an octave not attainable by a human person and he's like uh, if you fuck does he sound like that if you have ever played mutant league football on the sega genesis and scored a touchdown and heard them go <laughs> that's what it sounds like it's uh, just it's just vibrations coming out of what i guess you would call a throat the actor's name is peter capaldi uh, if I showed you his picture, you'd probably recognize him. Um, I oh yes, I recognize him. He uh, was uh, one, he was one of the doctors from Doctor Who. Yeah, he's also in uh, oh that new movie. I don't know if you've seen it yet. The, the Suicide Squad. Yeah, yeah. Did yeah. you end up watching that? I did. Okay, uh, that's another conversation. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can see the subtitles might be kind of necessary, especially when she's singing, especially during this song, especially because it's very oh. it's very snappy. It's very and quick. This is where. I may as well point out a huge difference between this and the stage production. Because uh, folks at home, you're probably, I mean, there's a very good chance you're not aware. Um, but the stage version differs not only in terms of content and length, but also in terms of style of presentation. Uh, the stage version has a chorus, meaning the citizenry of London uh, fill in a lot of story gaps uh, for us so we have a, a cast of thousands or whatever just many voices anonymous voices uh, reciting the story to the audience uh, throughout the entirety of the play uh, whereas in the film only the key characters are allowed to sing in the film yeah uh, and it actually creates a radically different soundscape in fact it, it straight up kind of ruins one of the songs in this movie I'll, I'll be sure to point out which one i'm referencing here okay um but a, a very big difference is, uh, and I told Kyle this before we started recording, is that Helena Bottom Carter and, in fact, everybody in this movie does a great job. Uh, the, the girlfriend, uh, uh, my girlfriend, <laughs> she uh, she actually is a trained vocalist. She is a singer. Uh, so from from her standpoint, like she she can't help but key in on the technical side of singing performances. And she was like, you know, it's not brilliant, but they have very good pitch and they they did it so she was like i I applaud you johnny depp i applaud you helena bonham carter y'all did a good job with what you had um but a major difference is that the stage version the original casting for mrs lovett was angela fucking lansbury aka murder she wrote yeah and i'm sorry like no amount of acting talent in 2007 could upstage murder she wrote um and the style of singing that she employs in the in the original cast recording is that of a stage actress so her her diction like her pronunciation is crystal fucking clear and she is playing to the back rows well this movie's more about acting it's a musical it but is. the focus is acting because if you think about uh uh what's the lady from little shop of horrors the blonde lady oh ellen green yeah not a great actress amazing singer like she's she's an amazing singer but like her act like they're not you're not there for the acting really it's you want to hear her performances here it's like i'm not here to hear johnny depp and helen bottom carter sing they're gonna sing but it's more about the characters yeah and you need to be mindful of the fact that uh we're taking a three-hour stage play and condensing it into a sub two-hour film bravo bravo (laughs) (laughs) excellent (laughs) Excellent. Bravo, Pugsley. Yes, great. <laughs> Thank you. 
three fucking hours into an hour and 50, 55 minutes. That's thank you, Tim Burton. You are amazing because that's and awesome. Like, as evidenced by some of the shots I mentioned, like again, this is something that's going to be a theme in pr- probably a lot of the discussions that we have this month. Is like if you're going to change the the medium of the product, take advantage yeah. of the tools you have at your disposal. Oh, and, and he fucking did things. in this, yeah. He does. It, this is a very cinematic musical. It, mm. This is a movie and a music. It's a it's a film musical, and they they do a good job of, you know, making it palatable for people like me who aren't there for, for strictly for the music. It's like I'm also here for a good story, and by trimming some of the fat, by focusing it a little bit, uh, it makes for a much more enjoyable and better flowing narrative. Chicago does an interesting job of balancing between being a movie and like being a show. Uh, not crazy about that, but I love John C. Riley's uh, Mr. Cellophane. That's that's just great. Um, that is a good number. His it, dancing is hypnotic. Yeah, it, it's really good. <laughs> God, he's great. Uh, anyway, so yeah, so she's uh, she starts telling him she knows the story of Benjamin Barker. Uh, she's a little. She doesn't like hint that she knows him, but she knows his story. She's a little suspicious. Not suspicious, just a little suspicious. <laughs> I'm watching The Office right now. Uh, but yeah, this is where we get Poor Thing, where she's talking about like the judge. Uh, after they took away Benjamin Barker, uh, he's you know su- trying to seduce her. Um, and she ends up uh, poisoning herself. And the judge uh, has his daughter. Um, and he kind of is like, oh shit, like, my, my wife is dead. I was coming back expecting to see her, but she's gone. And my daughter's still alive and the judge has her. She's like, so it is you. You are Benjamin Barker. He's like, no. No Barker, only told. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, the poor thing number was where they got me. Was where I was like, "Yep, I'm into this." Because uh, prior to that, like I said, the subtitles were off. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, worst pies in London has a wonderful energy to it. They really do make a good job, like employing clever angles and and cutting uh, to the beat of the song, like when she's smashing roaches and stuff. But only problem was I was having a little bit of difficulty, like actually catching every word. Yeah. Um, but then by the time we got to poor thing, the subtitles were on. But what's more, the the melody is wonderful. It's really gripping, and the repetition, mm-hmm. uh, which gets annoying from time to time in this movie, um, worked for me really well here because the the title of the song comes from the repetition of her saying awful things about what happened to Benjamin Barker's wife, and then ending every thought with oh poor thing yeah like like, oh it's such a shame that that really awful terrible thing happened but in addition to that the cinematic language of the sequence is pretty heavy stuff yeah like like we have a really emotionally distressed woman at like a masquerade ball essentially and yeah it was weird it's meant to be off-putting it's meant to be weird and and she's the only person that's without a mask and she's like throwing back drinks without knowing where she is or what she's doing and then it's it's not even really implied that like alan rickman just like assaults her like in the middle of a crowd and everybody's laughing while it happens um and they don't really shy away from the emotional intensity of the moment and uh, the music really plays really well with the visuals here this was a really awesome sequence if you ask me eh, it's fine <laughs> i'm just everybody, like, you know everybody fine. has their own you know like feelings on different things but th- i'm just saying this was kind of the sequence that sold me on on the presentation of the product i was like I, th- I think i know i think i know what they're going for here and i think i'm i think i'm cool with it when we started slitting throats that's where i was like oh okay we've uh we've turned a corner here 
Now you have my attention. Because I was actually, I was dragged to this. This was not my choice. I did not want to go oh. see this. Okay. Um, well, actually, not to completely derail us, but I think it's very important to note the marketing for this film was a travesty. It was a nightmare. Uh, because the, the studio was actually criticized for falsely advertising this product. Uh, because very few people were aware that it had musical theater origins. And that the film was, in fact, a musical. Um, this happens from time to time. Like, I saw a trailer for uh, Dear Evan Hansen, uh, which I am obligated to watch this evening, in fact, with mm. the girlfriend, because she's a fan. Ooh, um, but we saw a trailer for it. Negotiate what? some Verace pizza. Oh, no, wait, you can't do that. Jeez. Damn it. I, I mean, I, I could get some lactate. I can, I can swing that. You know? <laughs> it's right there, dude. That's... Yeah. <laughs> I would but be anyway. fucking 250 pounds if I had your apartment because I would be at Verace three times a week easily. <laughs> One of these days I'm going to walk by the window there and you're just going to be in there just Brother! swelling. Brother! <laughs> Help me! They got me! <laughs> yeah. Like that scene like, in Beetlejuice. I can't, I can't I'm stuck. Under- yeah, I can't go outside the sandworms, dude. They won't let me out. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's like I can't even understand you through your face fat. <laughs> but anyway, the trailer for Dear Evan Hansen, I actually wasn't aware that that was a musical. She, of course, knew it like instantly. Like she knows this the show really, really well. But I don't. I didn't know anything about. It. But from the trailer, I was like, "That's a musical," and they did the same fucking thing with Sweeney Todd. I had basically no clue it was a musical when it came out. Uh, it might and a been. lot of people apparently fell into the same category. Well, it's unfortunate because it's really a gotcha, bitch, like I got your money <laughs> uh, kind of situation because it's just like Johnny Depp has done these Pirates movies. Now we're going to get him with get everybody like we've got your money. It doesn't matter if you wanted to see it or not. We've got your money. But it's just like it's a good movie. So if you just would have told them it was a musical, it would have been a little bit nicer. Well, it's good, but I could see this upsetting a lot of people. Because think about like all the teeny boppers and stuff that were probably you know just hot for Johnny Depp, and oh. then they go in to, <laughs> and then they go into this, and it's like it's not only like a a grim, morbid musical. It's like the the imagery is pretty explicit. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to fuck Johnny Depp in this movie. Ugh. No, you you absolutely don't want. You don't put your dick in crazy, dude. That <laughs> that motherfucker kills a lot of people, and he does not take a single shower. Yeah, yeah, that is something I noted. It was like he didn't even really clean his sleeve that one time. No, nope. so he just put a coat. He put a coat over it. It's like, I haven't oh, seen him go blood's to. It's like the blood's I, in the coat. I did not see one tailor, not one tailor, or him washing any clothes. Yeah, no, he's not even a bucket. Nope, not, not even like a dump, like a bucket shower. Just oh. stinky ass people. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so then this is where she's like, they go up to the apartment and it's it's all, all shit. His little chair is still, there's little barber chair is still there, I think. Uh, there's a little bassinet with uh, with a doll that looks like it's been through hell. Um, but uh, Tim, she Tim Burton probably just had it. Yeah, he just like slipped it onto the set, and the production designer was like, "I'm the not fuck even gonna is say that? anything." It's <laughs> um, like, okay, Tim. Uh, but Helen Bottom, uh, Mrs. Lovett has kept his razors. There's like six, like, uh, was it Sterling Silver uh, razors? Um, she's like, I thought about selling them, but I thought I'd keep them. Like, fuck off. She would have sold these. 100% she would have. At least, at least five of them. She might have kept one, 
Well, the important point to note, and I feel like maybe the movie could have emphasized this more, not to me, but to some other people, uh, while she's singing the Poor Thing song, a lot of information is being being imparted to us. And one thing that's a clue as to the deeper meaning behind the song is that uh, she tells the tale of the Barker family, and when she's referencing Benjamin Barker, she keeps pointing out, and he was beautiful. Mm-hmm. So, like, it, it's pretty strongly implied, like, it's so early in the story that you're really not looking for, for like, I don't know, breadcrumbs to any plot threads or anything. But through those lyrics, it's pretty obvious that it's like she kind of had a thing for this guy even before the wife was out of the picture and yeah. before he was in prison. So it stands to reason she would just like leave things as they were. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing what like being over 5'7 and having a full head of hair really does for you. It, it really does open a lot of doors. Um, <laughs> I guess we're, this is where we get uh, My Friends, which is not i'm not crazy about this song it's fine it's just we're getting introduced to his razors um i don't even think we get his plot or like what he plans to do but he does say that you're gonna drip rubies uh so you can kind of put two and two together there uh yeah, and and she kind of intrudes on the later parts of the song like she's she's kind of like wanting in on the fun but like it's strictly him singing to his razors mm-hmm. and the the it's neat because like the razors have their own melody that comes in in and out of the story from time to time whenever they're relevant but it's just him like serenading his 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 blades and like telling them that like they're imbued with purpose now and it's feels so good they they're they're coming back to life and he has purpose once again but yeah she just has this moment where she's like and i'm here too yeah by the way (laughs) i kept them i didn't sell (laughs) oh hello by the way was was that was that mr o'brien uh, Richard O'Brien uh, in the uh, asylum. I, I was that's I was thinking it was. I don't know if it was him. It it could be. It, it looked like it him. does. I didn't. I, I didn't check, but like I'm going to when now. I saw I'm him, on it. The second I saw him, I was like, "Is that is, okay?" <laughs> I thought so too, and I like I was distracted. I was like, I went to go look it up, and then I got distracted. Think maybe I got like a text or something. But I'm gonna look it up now. Um, <laughs> I mean, I mean you could have at least given us a hello. Hello. <laughs> You're uh, wet. <laughs> no, I think I don't think that's him. Uh, just some guy. It's just somebody who is in Alien Three, probably. <laughs> yeah. Uh, More than likely. <laughs> dude, I just watched. I just watched Alien Covenant like a couple of months ago, and I'm already itching to watch it again. God damn. Right. Yeah. You, you got problems, bud. Fucking great. <laughs> Um, but yeah, but one thing that you have to keep in mind is, well, anytime I've seen a movie from this era, it's like there are rich people and then there are people, it's like social Darwinism. It's just like there are people that are like scraping by every day just to survive. And we kind of get the hint that Mrs. Lovett, uh, not a talented pie maker and uh, she's not doing well financially, uh, which is why I was like, bullshit. She would have sold these razors in a heartbeat. Um, but, uh. Yeah, he talks to his razors, and then we get fucking Anthony. Do you remember those fake trailers at the beginning of Tropic Thunder, where uh, where Downey Jr. is playing a priest, and he's yeah, yeah. he's like he goes like ah, like he's screaming. <laughs> Every time Anthony comes on screen, I have that in my brain. Just ah, he's fucking back. Um, but this is where we meet uh, Joanna, and this is the song Green Finch and Linnet Bird. Linnet, yeah, Linnet Bird. Yeah, Linnet Bird. Uh, so this is actually funny because uh, the the girlfriend I've actually heard her sing this. Uh, she's a big fan of this one. Does she uh, hit those high notes too? 
she's pretty talented wow yeah. i'd like to hear that yeah I, i've i've seen her play it on the piano i heard her sing it she you know so can, i that this was one of the only songs i knew coming into this movie if not the only can one. she do the diva song from the fifth element Oh, I mean, she's a big admirer, oh. uh, I, but, you know, it takes a special set of lungs to pull that off. You marry her if she can pull <laughs> that off. Yeah, no, for sure. But, no, she she's a big fan of that sequence. She probably has it, like, bookmarked on her YouTube or something. It's, it's but, amazing. But, yeah, Greenfinch and Linnet Bird, uh, it's basically the lyrics are Joanna uh, sitting in the windowsill and, and musing to her caged birds and... Uh, I don't know, almost expressing, like, sorrow. not jealousy, but basically she's comparing herself to that of the caged birds. Like, how, how is it you, like, make such beautiful songs while you're in a cage? Sleepy <laughs> like, Hollow had the same kind of motif, uh, the birdcage motif. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we, we, you and I have talked quite a bit about Tim Burton's tendencies, and uh, I can see why he was attracted to this project. I mean, one, it gives him all manner of excuses to put people in elaborate gothic, you know, plunging neckline costumes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but it, in addition to that, it's, you know, it's also the story of an outcast, an outsider of sorts. But more than that, a talented uh, outsider, a person with a gift who is perhaps misunderstood or perhaps has a unconventional worldview and is eventually shunned from society and meets a terrible fate, you know, i.e. Edward Scissorhands, who, you know, very talented with scissors um, and also has a melancholy end. The, the penguin from Batman Returns, not a good person, <laughs> but, you know, he was kind of made into a bad person partially and then he meets a terrible end. <laughs> um I remember either reading or hearing Helena Bottom Carter after this was saying, like, this was a role that she always wanted. Like, this was something she's always wanted to do is play Mrs. Lovett. And I could see that. Like, it could be, it would be a fun role for somebody to play. Oh, uh, I mean, her particular gifts. Like, in fact, like I was noting, like, that <laughs> there's a funny thing that happens at the end of the movie that's like, that's really weird that that's not the first time I've seen that happen to her. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll point okay. out when we get there. But point is, uh, she she has certain characters that she's touched on throughout her filmography that seem to have been like tiptoeing around this one because this one has existed since you know the late 70s and she's presumably been aware of it her whole life um, so I could totally see her I don't know coveting this role because she really does slip into it very seamlessly um, yeah, so the judge is a straight-up creep. He's got his uh, his masturbation hole that he spies on his uh, adopted daughter. Like, this is, like, a whole nother level of child grooming that's going on here. He's grooming this girl who's 15 uh, after putting her father in prison and driving her mother to insanity and to kill herself. And he's basically just waiting until she's like, realizes that she loves him. I don't know how prevalent this was at the time, but I do believe that grown men were marrying 15-year-old girls at this time, so it doesn't seem yeah, too far-fetched. It's it's truly awful when you spell out all the steps of it. Yeah. But his general demeanor, treat, he treats it pretty casually. Yeah. <laughs> he's this like, is I'm, standard, yeah. Yeah, he's like, I'm pretty okay with this. In fact, I think everybody's okay with this. I mean, More people should do this. <laughs> it's possible nobody knows about this. Because True. she yeah. is, she's just in this room. That's just all she and does. Is literally every able-bodied 
man who looks at her through the window gets their ass kicked. <laughs> He's su- he is such a creep. He is watching other people watching her, which is bananas. Uh, but yes, a, a very creepy woman experiencing homelessness uh, fills Anthony in on uh, what's happening. Uh, put a pin in the homeless lady because <laughs> uh, she is uh, the, the lady experiencing homelessness. Uh, she will pop up again. Um, and as we get my least favorite song in the whole in the whole uh, the whole movie, the whole musical is Joanna. It works better later when the two of yes. them are singing. I, I like yes. that. But this rendition, I wanted like this is where I was sitting in the movie theater. I'm like, oh my god, this is awful. <laughs> yeah, An- Anthony and Joanna are are uh, in horror parlance are breeding pair. Yes, um, they are our young innocents uh, who give us a brief reprieve from the nasty nastiness that is Sweeney Todd's world. Um, and the girlfriend was keen to point out that uh, apparently, from a technical standpoint, uh, the Joanna, like the Anthony role is very very difficult so it's like prestigious from a from a technical vocalist perspective um but for me who doesn't care about such things it's a little bit it's a little bit of a bore Um, yeah it's also it's also even the melody isn't my favorite it kind of has a it has a start and stop quality to it it almost turns it it almost turns into like gershwin from time to time where he's and he there's repetition of him wanting to steal her and i'm like well that's not very like white knightly of you (laughs) to like steal the young lady but i guess given her situation that's a good thing but um i agree with you though when it unfortunately we get this number three times in this movie you want to shoot him (laughs) but thankfully yeah when when we do have he and sweeney todd paralleling each other it works the the two of them playing off of each other really really works uh, but this Anthony character on his own singing the same number twice is a lot. Yeah, uh, it's a yeah, lot. It, yeah. yeah, judge. Uh, the judge comes to the door and he sees Anthony. He's like, "Oh, won't you come in? Yeah, won't you come on in? Uh, take a take a load off. Oh, you're a sailor, huh? Won't you have a little glass of whiskey here or whatever it is?" And then he's just like, "Oh, you gandered. You took a to gander at my lady." But he goes through like all the different ports and all the different prostitutes you can get in the different ports. Uh, and he's like, yeah, you gandered. But I love his, uh, your meaning is immaterial. It's a perfect line for uh, for Alan Rickman. <laughs> your meaning is immaterial. Your meaning is immaterial, yeah. You it's... gandered. You gandered. You gandered. <laughs> you gandered. Uh, and uh, <laughs> he gets the immediate boot. He's just like, get the fuck out of here, bitch. Uh, get well, away. Not before him offering. He's like, would you like to look at some porn? Yeah. You? <laughs> I have many forms. Many, many forms. Of international pornography. That's actually even creepier now that you think about it. It's like... Yes! Yeah. He's <laughs> yes, like He's harboring this child upstairs, waiting for her to become of age, or until she decides that she wants to bone him, and he's just got a plethora of pornography in his study. I stroke it constantly. <laughs> <laughs> Day in... Day out. Uh, <laughs> Pornography via Walmart. What a savings. <laughs> but Walmart would not sell pornography. They won't even spell, sell CDs that are explicit. Fuck them. He has a buddy, though. He's got the Beatle. Yeah, he gets the Beatle. You know how much of a... a you know how stupid you feel getting a Limp Biscuit CD from Walmart that's edited? You know how much of a loser oh. you are? 
Oh, they gosh. do that? Yeah, they, no, Walmart did not sell explicit uh, content. Oh, no. Yeah. It's yeah. funny. I read the other day that apparently uh, DC Comics had a deal with them, like an exclusive comics deal with them, where there were certain comics for a chunk of time, not anymore, that you could only get via Walmart. Interesting. And apparently a lot of them were actually very good. Huh. I was like, what? What? Well, Walmart <laughs> has all the money, so yeah. So why not? Walmart is a curious entity because, yes, they have all the money. They supply all the goods and services to all the people of of the country or the world. But because I'm from Seattle, no. I don't know anything about that. That's, I've never touched that world. That was one of the fascinating things that when I came to Seattle, I'm like, dude, you can. it's hard to find a Walmart around it here. It is. It's I've great. Never, I've, bar- I've barely set foot in a Walmart in my lifetime, and yet it's this monolithic thing that is everything to so many people well yeah because a lot of places it's hard to have little mom pa grocery stores and these places it's just it's it's a good thing to have it's really convenient um it's just so bizarre to me that it's just because of the nature of where i've grown up it's just i've never really been aware of it it's never touched me yeah, you're fine. You don't need to go into one. Um, no, I, I absolutely don't. <laughs> I only unless, go I the... pick, unless I want to pick up hot Cheeto mac and cheese, because apparently they have that. If you need to uh, if you need to do a two, if you need to do a two, it's a good place to go. Uh, oh, duly noted. Boom. If I'm on a road yeah. trip, I, I'll hold you up to that. I'll, yeah. like, I'll, I'll text you. I'll be like, Kyle, I just dropped a massive dump <laughs> at a Walmart. At a Walmart. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's good because I mean, otherwise you'd go to a McDonald's and you might as well just go to a Walmart at that point. Oh no, I, I don't, I don't do that. I'll mess around with that. I had a bad experience back in the day. All right, <laughs> we've all had a bad experience in a Walmart yeah, bathroom. That, that uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, but so yeah, the, so the Beetle, the give, Beetle was summoned. The Beetle gives him the boot, and uh, then we, yeah, he gives him a pretty good wrapping. Uh, it's interesting that Timothy Spall is the father of Rafe Spall. Timothy Spall is one of... Did you not know that? I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this they don't look alike at all. Not even a little bit. Like, Rafe Spall is like... He's not a bad... Like, he's not like a really good looking dude, but he's like... He's a handsome enough guy. But he's like normal looking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like normal looking. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and then it's like if Chris Pratt came out of Danny DeVito or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, right. Now we get to the uh, we get to the market, uh, and this is where we get the song Pirelli's Miracle Elixir. Uh, so we get to the market, and Sweeney's got his uh, he's got his blade in his uh, like his little pouch, his little cell phone holster, and um, Beetle Bailey is there at the market. I I love uh, I love uh, Timothy Spall's just demeanor. And this character, like, he's got, like, a very, like, very proper and smugness about him. But he's, like, one of the ugliest dude that's dudes that's ever lived. It just, it it makes for a very uh, irritating uh, character trait. Yeah, and, like, his, his general, like, his garb. Like, mm-hmm. he's, he's dressed in an irritating fashion. Like, he's got his pants too high. He's got, he's got, like, he's dressed very fancily. And, and the way he presents himself is that of, like, a handsome man. Like a handsome man of of means and money um but yeah he he doesn't not, look like <laughs> he's not a looker um no <laughs> I, I, when we find when we get to it I, I think we'll probably do it for the podcast when we get to Rockstar, uh i actually really like him in that movie uh i think you i think you'll end up liking him i think i've only seen him in the last samurai he's in the last samurai it's, yeah he has a small he has a small role i think i watched that like 
I think I watched that in the Navy when it was like, like I only got to see like like cut up pieces, but I got to see a good portion of it. But I must have missed where he was in there. I think I might have been out of the room for that. Um, yeah, he's 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 fine. He he doesn't really have much in there, but but you know when you look like that and you sound like that, you always. You always make an impact whether you want to or not. Yeah, you, you look gross. He plays a really disgusting, repulsive character in Harry Potter. Actually, there's a ton of Harry Potter alum in this in this movie. I think there's like five. Um, I could see that, yeah. There's a lot. But yeah, so we get uh, Pirelli's Miracle Elixir. We get this kid uh, who ends up being Toby, Tobias, who I think traditionally was supposed to be a person who was developmentally challenged uh, in the stage production. Uh, I could see that. Um in the stage production, I know it was portrayed by an older actor. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure if that was in the script. I didn't listen to enough of the musical, like the stage version, to confirm that. But um, yeah, hearing hearing a, like an actual legitimate child do this was different. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- it's funny. This song took me by surprise because as soon as I saw the fucking kid, I I was already like rearing back and rolling my eyes and like crossing my arms, like no. <laughs> no, no, I, no, no, we are not doing this. We're not having fucking kids in this movie. I am not okay with this. The like, kid's I, great. I, I was, that's what happened. Was yeah. The, the, I, I love the tune of this song. I do too. It has, it, it almost has like a military march vibe to it, but it has a, a lovely bouncy cadence mm-hmm. to it. That's really, it really just like pulls you in and like, you can't help but like bob along with it just a little bit. And the lyrics are so tightly rhymed, like mm-hmm. so precisely written together. That it's just like, ah, you got me. So I was like fully prepared to just shit all over this kid. Yeah. And then he, then he got me. The kid, son of a bitch. I said the the kid is a really he's he's great in this movie. Um, yeah, his little Ed, song. Ed Sanders is yeah. the the actor's name, by the way. Um. Yeah. So uh, he's hawking this uh, schlock. It's uh. It's this vial. It's a elixir. It's supposed to make your hair grow and come out blonde, I suppose. Smells and, like piss. Yeah, it's pretty great. I love this. Is piss. Looks like ink. <laughs> Smells like piss. <laughs> Looks like piss. This is piss. Yeah, it's it's pretty funny. But like he's saying this, and the kid is kind of like giving him dirty looks. Like, yeah, it's piss, but don't say that because we're trying to sell this stuff. Um, I guess it's all the rage or whatever. And then Pirelli comes out and kind of dates the movie having. Sasha Baron Cohen. I gotta remember Cohen. Cohen. The last name Cohen. Um and this was where I was like, what is his ethnicity? Like what's his 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 background? I could I couldn't I'm like, he's definitely not Italian because he's supposed to be Italian here. Uh he's his um his he's Jewish and his I think I believe his father's Israeli. Um and then I'm not sure where his mother is from, but he's uh you know, Jewish ancestry. But yeah, he uh <laughs> I kind of like him in this. It's kind of fun. It's goofy, um, but it's kind of a little bit of comic relief before we get into the heavy stuff. And yeah, and his next scene is good too. Like the way it turns. Yeah, Sasha Baron Cohen. The way actually Johnny Depp himself uh, described him was he was like he's he's like our he's like the current generation's Peter Sellers. It's like he he is a chameleon. Yeah. Like if you if you ask him to inhabit a character or try something new, you will get something new. You will you will you won't get Peter Sellers or Sasha Baron Cohen that day. You will get Borat or you'll get Ali G or you'll get whoever the fuck he decides to come up with yeah. that day. Um, and he's one of those guys that I know a lot of very high profile directors have wanted to work with. 
because despite like whatever reputation he might have for being a prankster or whatever, you know, because of the Borat movies and all 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 the things in between, he's also incredibly talented. Yeah. And yeah, and it's hard to deny that when you see him do pretty much any serious acting role. It's very seldom happens, but when you see him actually being directed as opposed to just improvising or whatever, it's like, yeah, make use of this guy. Yeah. Only problem is I imagine it's very difficult to court him I, because he seems a little peculiar. I don't know. I, I don't know if that's true. I, I remember listening to the stand-up comedian talking about, uh, do you remember the movie Bo, uh, Bruno? I was going to say Borat, obviously. Uh, Bruno. Bruno, yes. I, which I think is better than both the Borat, Borat movies. I think Bruno was fucking hilarious. Um but he has like his uh, side, his little uh, sidekick, who's just this short little German guy. And this guy looks like that guy, but he speaks no German. So he goes into this uh, audition. He's just like, I go into this audition. Uh, Sasha's there, and then some other producers. And then he's like, and then fucking Jonah Hill is just there. <laughs> he's just there while I'm reading for this part. And um, he's like, okay, you speak German, so we're gonna have a dialogue in German. And Sasha says something in German. And this guy just does, like, gibberish. And, like, he's, like, Sasha's, like, kind of thrown off. So he looks over at his German coach. And his German coach is like, what? Like, so it seems like he actually did really prepare for that role. And I don't know if he would be that hard to wrangle. I feel like he would take it very seriously. Well, just looking at his filmography, it's like he he doesn't take projects all the time. And, like, he does a lot of voiceover work for animations and whatnot. But, like, his filmography is not super dense. No. I will point out that I, I do have at least one movie of his that I have to watch. I'm obligated to watch. The Brothers Grimsby? Yep. Yeah. The Brothers Grimsby because a certain Scott Adkins has a small role in that one. And uh, he regardless was... of the quality of the film, I will check it out. <laughs> he was in the 2012 Les Mis. I was about to point that out because Helena Bonham Carter's in there with him. Oh, fascinating. Uh, so, I'm not watching so they, that. So and also they they both kind of have a similar flavor to their performances in that film. That film's not very good, by the way. I, uh, I got I got like two hours into a three hour Les Mis Ugh. movie and I I called it quits, Kyle. I would actually watch just it. bailed. It it was a mom rental, <laughs> <laughs> but mom bailed on it, oh. and that's surprising. Like she was like, "Nah, I'm done." <laughs> well, <laughs> nothing about that movie is interesting to me. Like absolutely nothing. To over two and a half hour runtime. Okay, who's the director? Uh, let's see here. Tom Hooper. No idea, but that's not a that's not a director that I'm gonna go in for a, a two and a half hour plus movie. Uh, it's singing. Okay, no. Okay, they sing for real in the movie. I'm like, absolutely not. That sounds awful. Yeah, it it does sound awful most of the time. Uh, look up the highlight reel of Russell Crowe though. You'll have a good chuckle. Oh, what's the <laughs> what's the subject matter? Oh, it's about somebody stealing bread. What the fuck? Like, who gives a shit about that? Yeah. You built a three-hour movie about stealing bread? What the fuck? Yeah, no, I'm not watching that. <laughs> Wolverine ain't got claws in this one? Yeah. <laughs> but fuck? Yes, this is where uh, Sasha, or yeah, uh, Pirelli comes out and he's like, who's saying these things? And uh, uh, Sweeney Todd's like, you're a bitch, you don't know how to do shit, and let's have a shave off. Uh, and they're like, oh, Beetle, ba- uh, Beetle Bailey, <laughs> Beetle Bailey, will you come be the, uh, the judge of this? And he's like, oh, no, yeah, I'll go ahead and do that. And uh, I guess whoever does the closest, fastest shave wins. Uh, and I like, I like his song. I like the uh, the contest song here. 
Yes, uh, it's it's a fun exhibition of many of the things that Sasha Baron Cohen does well. For one, he's doing a a broad Italian uh, imitation. Yeah, yeah, broad. (laughs) It's like as cartoonish as it gets to the point that it comes full circle to being inoffensive because it's so cartoonish. It comes back around to why it's so cartoonish. But uh, one thing to point out is that uh, Sweeney Todd pulls out his blade and uh he looks very uh pirelli looks really really closely at the blade and uh he ends up trying to get out of the bet but he ends up having to do it anyway um they have their shave off while he sings it's great and uh the pope this i will i will walk around the house this is the one from this movie that i will to cut it a hair to shave it a face shave yeah. it a face i do shave it a face a lot and i don't even shave so to shave it up, shave it up, pulp. Yeah, I do it a lot. I I do that one quite a bit. Um, yeah. But yeah, so uh, Sweeney Todd ends up winning, and uh, I do like <laughs> he uh, Pirelli loses. He gives him the five pounds, and then he just immediately starts beating this kid. Uh, just <laughs> he tries to give like that smile real quick of like. <laughs> it's pretty funny. He's fine. He's fine. He's fine. No, no, no. He likes uh, it. <laughs> yeah. Um, he ends up talking to Beetle. And he's like, thank you. Like, he's, like, giving him high praise or whatever. He's like, thank you so much for, you know, taking the time to do this. He's like, oh, yes, I'll, you know, I like to do these things. Um, and does he kind of tell him about his shop that's nearby? He's like, you should come check it out. Yeah, actually, Mrs. Lovett kind of does it for him, where he inquires about it, and he's, he kind of trips on his words a bit, and she's she just is like, yeah, he does yeah. have an establishment. And she even comes up with a name for it. I'll have to Google it right now, in fact, because it's a lovely-sounding word, tonsorial, but I don't actually know what it means. Um, I love the sound of it, though. So, <laughs> so one thing to keep in mind is that Mrs. Lovett is privy to his plan, and when he's like going to go slit beetle's throat right in the market she like like stops him from going to do that so she she's with it she knows that he is out for vengeance and she is totally fine with it yeah uh, she kind of reels him back in a little bit but i i think they head back to the their headquarters essentially their bat cave and uh this is where we have another musical number where this is him uh basically we we make mention of the fact that some time has passed and he's like the beetle said he'd be here oh before the week was out one important thing real quick is that uh the judge is spying on joanna and joanna throws a key out her window to uh anthony i don't know if the judge sees it but he definitely sees her open up the window and acknowledge somebody in the street but that's just put a pin in that yeah, it shows you how much I care about that particular well, plot line. It's it's like it's like a fifteen second scene, and I just happen to write it down right before no, we get to it. You need to understand, Kyle. I'm not joking. Like I really have just kind of like closed off that portion of the, of the story. It, it's just like I'm I care so little for that for those characters and their affairs. Well, because in all honesty, it comes to nothing except for the pl- like it. All it does is set up getting the judge to the barber shop at the end like the actual their their thread doesn't really matter yeah and remember we're taking three hours of stage and putting mm-hmm. it into less than two hours oh, of movie i could and not imagine three hours of this and like i said there's a whole greek chorus that's explaining a lot of details in the stage version there's additional musical numbers that are completely omitted from this and not only that a, a lot of what's here has been condensed as well like the pirelli's miracle elixir song is longer in the stage version 
I think the worst pies in London is longer. Oh, really? Greenfinch and Linnetbird is longer. Almost Ish. all of these have additional verses to them that have been omitted from this. So there, there are certain plot elements that are going to carry a lot less weight in this condensed version of the story. But good on you for pointing out the the key thing because that that does show agency on Joanna's part that she's also like wanting an escape and sees Antony as a as a means to get there. And you know they're they're hot for each other. They're they're horny. They want to get at it. But <laughs> but yeah, then we have the the wait uh, mm-hmm. musical number, where basically uh, Todd is angry that the beetle hasn't come because he said he'd be there by week's end. And she's she points out it's like it's Tuesday. <laughs> like we're nowhere near the end of the week. <laughs> but he's impatient. Like he he wants to, he his blades need to make rubies. God damn it. He's perpet- He's perpetually bro- uh, brooding that's just yes yeah that's just his natural state yeah. from here on out um but she has this lovely musical number um just like spelling out that i think there's even a line in there that's like like planning the plan is half the fun of of doing anything worth doing so she she keeps ending in mo- most of the stretches of the lyrics in this with just just a simple word wait and it's it's a funny little thing it's like a a tickle in your ear that the music teases that there'll be more repetition of of the word wait that they'll do like the the poor thing Mm -hmm. she said it twice a lot of times in in rapid succession but with the wait being as she's commanding him to wait she just says it once and then there's just this this pregnant pause in the lyrics it's really it's interesting from a musical standpoint i i don't know that i like it but i noticed it and it's like that's curious like it, it it drew me in in a weird way but Basically, she's just telling him, like, hey, like, cool cool your jets. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, Anthony comes up, and he tells Sweeney Todd about the judge, and now she's got a key, uh, about he's got a key uh, from Joanna, and I think they're, they're thinking of a master plan. <laughs> well, the way, you, the way you talk about Anthony, it's like he has this beautiful singing voice, but I'm like, oh, hey, Mr. Todd, yeah. I got a key from your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more or less. Uh, Yo, Mr. Todd, <laughs> he comes in like like just swinging his arms. Around. Yeah, yeah, Mr. Todd, I'm gonna try to bang your daughter. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Todd, your daughter's wicked hot. <laughs> do uh do do Travolta from uh uh whatever that Mr. Carter show was. Ah, jeez, Mr. Todd. <laughs> jeez, Mr. Todd, I'm trying to fuck your daughter. <laughs> um, yeah, that that that's better for Anthony. She's uh, got blonde fucking eyebrows. It's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, actually, Benny Var, uh, uh, Vinny Barverino would have been uh, that would have been kind of funny if that was the balance. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> but then uh, yes, then Pirelli is coming to see. Uh, I think while he's there, he's like, "Fuck off, Pirelli's here," and uh, Pirelli uh, goes upstairs to talk with Todd, and uh, Toby hangs out downstairs, I believe, while uh, this is all going on. Yeah, they they feed Toby some of the worst pies in London to just keep him occupied. He's housing that shit, dude. He is hungry. That Pirelli does not feed this kid. <laughs> no, 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 no. But um, yeah, Pirelli uh, undoes his uh, his secret identity here, and we discover that his uh, his whole Pirelli identity is a ruse uh, to sell to move uh piss and ink file <laughs> it's it was kind of like hearing christian bale talk for the first time i remember watching the, uh, the prestige and listening to him talk and i'd only heard him as like batman or that dude from uh what's that movie uh we just talked about it with johnny depp uh public enemies uh oh where he's uh, 
Yeah, Public Enemies. He plays... Uh, yeah, per- Purvis or whatever. He has, he has like one of those antiquated names that's like embarrassing by today's standards. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I never heard him talking. I heard I got to the Prestige. I'm like, God, this is a terrible British accent. And so I'm like, no, he's fucking British. I'm like, what? It was just yeah. so weird here. <laughs> so when he went... Because I'd only heard Bo Rat and like... Maybe I think I'd seen Bruno at this point, but because I've only associated him with Bruno and I'd never watched Ali G, I'd never heard his actual accent. So it was like, whoa, it really kind of throws you off. But it's an interesting turn that he makes because he's so animated and goofy as Pirelli, but like he's a little he's a little bastard as uh, as David. Yeah, he's a slippery bugger. Um, and the idea is he's now speaking in his natural voice. He's like, un- he's taking off, he's disrobing, he's taking off his fancy, flashy Pirelli costume. Uh, and, and he basically, he, he, he starts gives him the Ray Winstone routine. He gives him the, I know you. <laughs> he starts, he's just like, yeah, my name's David and I'm going to be taking half your earnings moving forward. I'm like, damn, you start with that. Like that's, that's pretty big move. That's a bold move. Yeah, that that's that's the kind of confidence that comes from a tall man with an aquiline nose. Yeah, <laughs> an aquiline nose that has never been broken. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, this this jaw doesn't move. You can try to you can try to knock it loose. It ain't gonna happen. Um, I'm just picturing doing the rubber man routine. He just like goes up on his toes to avoid a punch. Just like ho. <laughs> it's like Brody. It's like Brody. Uh, like leaning back as the guy bows. Just <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. The 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 Nazi head tilt. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was a lovely bit. But yeah, he tells me he's like, I know who you are. He's like, I used to sit over here, and uh, Todd is just like, he's like moving away from him, and he's kind of looking away. You don't really know what's going on in his head. He's a little bit. He, I guess, he looks a little concerned, but we don't really know what he's thinking in that moment. But it does become very clear that he is going to take him for all he has, and uh, you think he's going to get a, a throat slit here. I was like, oh, when's he going to slit his throat? But I forget. He gets him with the tea kettle. Yeah, and they, you know, classic uh, cinematic trick here. They actually have him brewing the tea when he walks in, and it's it's steeped. It's mm-hmm. like it's his, it's whistling um, to match the tension in the room, and uh, yeah, it matches the energy very very well when he picks up the kettle as it's whistling and making an awful noise, and he just like bludgeons him to the oh, floor with it. He bludgeons him to death. Yeah, or, or not quite to death, but he bludgeons the hell out of him. And it's. I mean, that was the intention. He didn't quite get it all done, but yeah, he, he gives him like good, I don't know, eight to ten shots to the dome with the tea kettle. I mean, one of the worst beatdowns I've seen in a movie, and thank God we didn't get to see the victim's aspect of it, was uh, at the end of Green Street Hooligans, when Tommy is unloading on him and it's just like holy shit like <laughs> that's pretty fucking brutal yeah if memory serves the the netflix uh, punisher show had one of those that they if memory serves they botched it although i could be wrong on that because they he he lays a john bernthal lays a ground and pound on a guy that's like in realistic terms that would be hamburger yeah like that that would not be a face anymore that would be unrecognizable but if memory serves they they make the mistake of showing it and it's like oh it's not that bad (laughs) the guy at the end of uh yeah tommy at the end of green street that's like a 230 240 pound man like murder punching somebody like that's that's hamburger (laughs) on the other side of that (laughs) Uh, i do like uh so toby's sitting down there uh getting himself a pie and uh, he goes, he like, here's a thump. And I like how Miss, like Miss Lovett's like, I wonder what he's doing up there. But to keep, 
like kind of distract Toby. She starts like banging stuff around, uh, but ultimately he just runs up there, and we're like, oh shit, he's got to get caught. Uh, but uh, Todd's kind of in the shadow, and he's got the tea brewed. Enough time that the tea's finished, uh, which was interesting. But uh, <laughs> it's kind of a funny gag, I thought. Um, so. Toby's just like, he's just like, uh, where's Pirelli? He's like, oh, your master got called away. You should probably go run after him, like, see if you can go find him. And Toby's got his back to this trunk that's uh, upstairs, and you can just see this hand, uh, kind of like the hand in Sleepy Hollow. Remember at the end, the lady's hand gets stuck, and it just kind of moves yeah. a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he ends up fainting. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a funny gag. And he's like trying to get the kids, like, won't you go downstairs and get another pie? He's like, no, it's okay. And he's like, Tries to get him with something else. He's like, I'll tell you what. How about you go get yourself a nice uh, glass of gin? He's like, oh, fuck yeah, dude. And just <laughs> he just books it out of there. <laughs> Doesn't even think twice. It's pretty great. Yeah. Um, but then, after Toby's left the room, uh, Todd sidles up to the trunk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he opens it. And we. it's kind of funny because it, it's, almost, it's almost like a... Like a it almost looks like he's like helping him up. He's like, "Okay, just dust yourself off and help yourself out." It's like we we had a little tiff there. It's all good now. <laughs> like, just no. don't come back. But no, he he very casually pulls out one of his, his silver lined razors, and uh, we get our first throat slit in the movie uh, as Pirelli is trying to stand up from the from the trunk, and it's juicy. Well, this is a pretty good it's death. A gusher. It's a this is a good death. I mean, the the blood is cartoonish almost. It's not like Evil Dead where it looks re- like the the remake Evil Dead where it looks real. It's just very like very bright red and looks kind of like silly. But what was your reaction to this? Were you like, "Oh shit." No. No, I, I didn't have holy shit. I had a smile. I was like, "Oh, nice." <laughs> well, <laughs> like were you I didn't ex- have much of a reaction to it. Well, not not like the not the realness of it, but like this is where the musical's going. It's like, oh shit, like we are really slitting throats in this thing. Um, it pleased me uh, to have such a, a explicit visual element to it because this is the kind of thing you traditionally would imply mm-hmm. or or you would just show restraint. Like you just have him perform the pantomime of, of running the razor across his throat and then just have it, like a little bit of blood. But this, they, they go like the, the chambara, like the japanese samurai movies from the 60s and 70s mm-hmm. where people are people in samurai movies of a certain vintage are just they're not people they're just pressurized sacks of blood <laughs> <laughs> that um if you've seen kill bill yeah. that's where that comes from it's an explicit reference to to that style and that this is very much from that same school of thought which is kind of funny being as it's 2007 and i want to say kill bill was probably right before that 2000 i think i was i was in high school uh i got out of high school in 2005 i think kill bill's like 2004 yeah that sounds right so it's Uh, it's not too far removed from it so this is a a site that is probably still fresh in people's minds at this point so maybe the time was just right to get this sort of thing past like all the the censors and the product all the producers that might have cold feet about this sort of thing i i was i was delighted (laughs) <laughs> to have this part be a part of the movie and such a prominent part of the movie. Yeah, and uh, it gets it gets more fu- it gets funnier as it goes along, in my opinion. Uh, at least <laughs> like our montage, like not montage, but like our just kind of going through the motions. Uh, it's kind of fun. Well, even his body language when he's yeah. doing it, it's so routine at that point. <laughs> he's, there's no passion behind it. Um, this, yeah. So uh, 
let's see here. Jen slit. Yeah, we haven't gotten to uh, when Mrs. Lovett comes upstairs. We get we cut to um, one of my favorite scenes of the film, which is the judge. Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. So, I, I American common law, American like jurisprudence and common law stems from uh, English common law. It just this is how it worked out. And there are old cases where children were tried as adults. Like, that was a thing. So, I think there might be some truth to this sequence. Like, this might actually be pretty uh, pretty normal. I love this. So, the judge is uh, at the bench. And uh, <laughs> Beetle is, is there as well. And he's like, this is the second time you've been in front of the bench. Clearly, you are are just... Second time in front of the bench, you are committed to a life of crime. You are sentenced to hang from the neck until you are dead. It is a seven-year-old child. <laughs> it's pretty fucking funny. Yeah, the the timing on the on the edit is fantastic because yeah. all the, all of that dialogue is shot from one angle, and we don't get the reverse of it. We don't see who's receiving the sentence until until the sentence is dealt. And then yeah, it's just this like diminutive little boy in a like monstrous booth in the, in the middle of the courtroom. I like Beetle when he hands out the sentence. Beetle kind of looks over his shoulder at the judge and is like, "Whoa." Like, but then he kind of has like a like a like a sick smile after that, but he's just like, "Well, what? and and when they go outside, I think like Beetle has a line about like 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 that worked out really well for us." And then the judge is like, "Was he guilty?" And he's like, <laughs> "He was probably guilty of something probably he would be <laughs> i mean honestly that's about what it was to get in trouble for something like hey you look like somebody that they said did something like well good enough for us that's uh you're guilty <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah 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 uh, i mean this this is your your like kicking the dog moment for these characters where it's yeah. like if you didn't hate him already yeah here's another reason. oh you fucking hate him um <laughs> Yeah, so judge, so the judge is like, yeah, I want to marry Joanna, but I don't feel like she feels the same way. And Beetle gets his his. Uh... <laughs> Sorry, I just kind of glossed over that. Uh... <laughs> it's just a funny thought. It's yeah, like this fifteen-year-old girl I've had prisoner for her whole life doesn't want to marry me. I just don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just need you to pause on that for a second. <laughs> Oh, yeah, so we uh, get uh, Beatles' song, uh, Ladies and Their Sensitivities. So he's just like, you need, you know, you're kind of looking like shit, Judge, if you don't mind me saying, you know, you're looking kind of gruff. And he's like, well, I guess I've been a little quick in the morning. So this is where Beatles' like, hey, uh, there's a dude around the corner who's pretty phenomenal. Um, And then the gin. Uh, This is where this kid is just like, like having gin. She's like, man, you're really putting that stuff down. He's like, yeah, they gave it to us at the workhouse may us go to sleep she's like well i'm gonna run upstairs he's like leave the gin <laughs> which is pretty funny yeah uh, it, it's it's fun too as like a, a character moment not just for laughs but also just to instill in you the viewer uh, at this point in the, in the story so early in the story that uh, this this boy thinks of him very clearly a boy like thinks of himself as a man yeah um which plays into the proceedings like by the time we get to the final reel but yeah she heads upstairs and uh this is where he has like blood all over his sleeve and, and yeah. she's like oh you done did it <laughs> like, i love, I love but her, not to who i was expecting you to <laughs> i love her reaction she's like what happened she's like why would you go and kill a perfectly nice man who didn't do anything he's like 
He tried to blackmail me. He recognized me. He was trying to take half my earnings. He's like, oh, that's a different matter then. <laughs> like, 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 okay, just so we clear that up. Like, that, like, that's fine. <laughs> and she's like, well, that case, I'm going to take his coin purse, which is very important. She takes his, uh, takes his money. And then the fucking judge just shows up. It was like, holy yep. shit. Like, this is like, like, this is exciting. This is, this is a Super Bowl here, dude. This is what you've been waiting for. And it comes early. You don't even get to savor it. Like, it's just yeah. now. It just came to you. Yeah. Wrapped up in a pretty bow. Um, but yeah, Todd, he, he throws on a jacket to cover up all the blood all over his sleeve. Um, and uh, the the melody that played out through uh, the Beatles song, uh, Ladies in Their Sensitivities. Ooh, not a big fan of the lyrics of that one. The repetition of My Lord in that one. Yeah. Oh, wow. That I was like, this is obnoxious. Um, like the the Joanna stuff, that was oh, that was kind of irksome. This is like, no, you get to play this once, and then we're done because we're not doing that again. And thankfully, we don't. I like this one, Pretty Women. It's a it's a quirky little number, and I like Alan Rickman's little, which is that's the right use of your Alan Rickman because as a vocalist, he's fine. He's, he's fine. Not great. He's, he's fine. He's gifted in other ways. <laughs> Uh, yes, his speaking voice is tremendous. His yeah. singing voice, not so much. Speaking, but yeah, the, speaking voice is second to none. Yeah. Oh, it's it's incredible. Yeah. It's it's one of the biggest assets for any actor of of any era. Uh, speaking of which, uh, apparently Christopher Lee mm-hmm. was supposed to be part of this production. Uh, uh, and there was another guy who gets the cam. He gets like a little cameo, like a little. He's the one that's like, uh, "Do you have your own establishment, uh, Mr. Todd?" Yeah, uh, apparently there was a scheduling issue of some sort, but one element apparently that's part of the stage show is that there are ghost characters that yeah. serve as part of the chorus or something. Um, they're completely omitted from the film version, but there were plans to incorporate them, and one of them would have been Christopher Lee, who uh, I've never listened to his metal album, but perhaps someday I will. It's it's <coughs> oh. not good. It's not good. Okay. I'm a Chris- we have confirmation, folks. I'm a metal fan. Uh, I'm a Christopher Lee fan, and it's... It's a little silly. Um, it's just him talking. It's just him talking like a, the devil. Like, and he did this, and I'm Christopher Lee. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I expected as much. I just think it's novel that he did that. But, yeah. Um, I'm curious. Do you know if he ever did any like readings of Lord of the Rings? Because I know he was he was the one guy on the set that was confirmed to be like a super fan. Oh, he of met Tolkien's Tolkien. work. He met Tolkien. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he reads. He read. He read. He read Lord of the Rings every year. Uh, he met Tolkien. I don't know if he, if he actually read. If he does a reading of all of them, it would be interesting. Um, Andy Zirkus did a reading of The Hobbit, which I'd like to. I'd like to hear. He did it for charity over the pandemic. Um, but apparently, I think I've told you about this to keep your eyes out for was that there is. Um, a record of Tolkien reading Tolkien reading Lord of the Rings. Uh, anybody out there, if you've got any information out there, please let us know. <laughs> let us know on the on the Grum uh, if, uh, if if you found that record because I I would really like to get my mitts on that. Yeah, I, I can't think of every collaboration that they've had, but I know for certain that Tim Burton did get to work with Christopher Lee on at least uh, Alice in Wonderland, uh, voice only performance, but. I mean, the two of them seem perfect together. I mean, for fuck's sake, he had Vincent Price in, in uh, Edward Scissorhands, just, you know, at the tail end of his career. But 
um yeah the pretty women uh number is fantastic yeah pretty uh, it women. goes through it yeah yeah it, it it takes on a lot of different shades uh, a lot of ground is covered from a narrative standpoint uh, all all the different elements of the character's emotional states are it's like they're doing a dance with each other uh while while one man is seated preparing to receive a shave um and we even get the the melody of the of the blades returning mm-hmm. uh when when uh sweeney todd is having that particular impulse um but yeah just the interplay between the two of them like like i said alan rickman's vocals aren't particularly strong but the material is is solid enough that it doesn't really matter because the two of them are giving performances that thankfully because we have cameras involved and camera angles and edits uh, all of the emotionality is is on full display and both of them really do a fantastic job together i wish they had more scenes honestly mm-hmm. uh, maybe like actually talking to each other as opposed to like both facing the same direction kind of looking past each other yeah, but just as he's about to make his killer move, this little fucking shit, Anthony just busts in. She's gonna run with me at midnight or whatever. Like, tell Mr. His- Todd. <laughs> Mr. Todd, she said she's gonna leave with me at midnight. Uh, and then uh, the the judge is just like, oh no, absolutely not, you little shit. Like, uh, now I'm definitely gonna like lock her up even more. Uh, and. Uh, he's just like this is the kind of people that you like let around here and of course todd is mad like he screams at him get the get the fuck out of here dude yeah uh johnny depp i don't know how often i can't think of too many instances where he expresses rage Mm -hmm. uh in film but this this is some good this is some good dad rage yeah this This is this is a good get out (laughs) like like, boy out yeah i can't think of any like even in black mass like he's a very angry character but i don't remember i don't i can't remember johnny depp blowing up like getting like screaming yelling at somebody yeah it doesn't happen all that often that i can think of but clearly he's got it in him he's not (laughs) he's not particularly intimidating so i guess it wouldn't be his strong suit like when Alec baldwin yells at you it's kind of scary (laughs) yeah big guy yeah, big dude <laughs> uh, but yeah this is uh, then we get the song Epiphany and I don't I forget what uh, it's a little muddled here I can't remember because uh, my the next song is the one I like more which is A Little Priest uh, that's the that's the fun one down in the kitchen um, but I think Epiphany is where he's angry about something I'm not really sure but they end up going downstairs and he gets some gin Epiphany might be my favorite number in the whole fucking thing, honestly. Uh, it's which it's one awesome. is, is that him? Is that him going through the streets with the the blades? Yes. Okay, then yes. yes. This is this is good. Yeah, I think you're right. This is one of my favorite ones. Yeah, this is a showstopper. Yeah, it's um, and good. The, t- the title of it is very very fitting because that's exactly what this is. It, it's drawn out like it's a it's a good solid three minute number, but basically. He just had like his one desire that is the you know the murder of the judge robbed from him uh, so now he is just flipping the fuck out and that one little spurt we had earlier of him uh with the the line of the, the world is like a a hole yeah uh, and, and just full of shit um he indulges that like he fully embraces that and that line and that melody returns um and he takes it for a fucking walk and uh he just basically embraces 
nihilism essentially like he, he just basically robbed of his purpose he just kind of looks upon the masses and and the world around him is just like pointless and just full of darkness um and it has a lovely energy to it 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 certainly is like grim dark material um but he kind of like gleefully embraces it such that you kind of rush past the fact that it's like all these lyrics are like some serious grim dark morbid shit but the the music is is really awesome and powerful here uh, and the imagery too they 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 basically carry out a whole fantasy sequence uh, and make a little bit of a gag out of it because when he's running through the streets that's all just him imagining the world kind of mm-hmm. um and then we we cut to him after at the end of the musical number like on his knees holding up twin razors um singing to the heavens about his his desire to just like murder anyone and everyone in his path and then we do a hard cut to him in in the loft area of like the apartment and mrs lovett's just like yeah that's all well and good but what now (laughs) (laughs) it's pretty great but yeah epiphany is one of my very favorite tracks in the whole thing honestly yeah, I just, I just couldn't remember the timing of it, if that's what Epiphany was. Um, but yeah, then we, we go downstairs, he has a little bit of gin, and this is where she's just like, oh, it'd be a real waste, just to, you know... Because they're talking about what they're gonna, how they're going to dispose of the Italian guy, and she's like, seems like a waste. And she's kind of like hinting at what she could do, and he's just like, ah! Like, oh, we could put him in the, the pies. And this is when they start surveying everybody outside, like, who would be good? And I, I like this. Um, yeah, a little priest is a fun one. It kind of it from like a I don't know a dark romance angle. It this is this is kind of like seeing like a a meet cute in a rom com yeah. where this is the part where they're doing like people watching, except in this case these two weirdos are talking about who would make good pies. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah it's like it's really dark. Like it, it's a like a dark conversation. They're talking about like uh, the marine or the priest, and uh, uh, I like the uh, like their harmony at the end. Like uh, like when they're dancing and they're kind of just going back and forth. But I like their harmony that happens here because it comes up later in a really fucked up scene. So yeah, no, that that was an awesome callback, and um, the blocking of the scene's a little goofy because like one thing that Tim Burton really did right. Uh, in the making of this film was that they actually built sets. Yeah. Um, a lot of this film is actually shot on sound stages with, with CGI and green screen used to fill in like the, the broader landscape and whatnot. But he, he was wise enough to know that, you know, if we're going to have people, you know, singing and dancing, it's probably a good idea to have them actually have an environment to interact with uh, just to like get into the swing of things. But uh, the set is a little bit small, mm-hmm. so like all the actions performed between the two actors feel a little bit cloistered, <laughs> and like even their dancing, it's like they don't really have a whole lot of to maneuver, um, especially considering there's a camera crew on the other end of things as well. Um, but yeah, the the song is a lovely number. Um, also, it's it's kind of funny. Like I I don't know if it's ever been explicitly stated, but I couldn't help but like feel at this point in the story in particular that's like. Like the the Joker and Harley Quinn, were, like, did Bruce Tim, like, see Sweeney Todd at some point in his youth and like carry that into the relationship between those two characters? Uh, because it, it, I see a lot of similarities, at least in in the earlier iterations of the Joker and Harley Quinn, where it's like you know, 
there have been a lot of arguments made where the Joker is obsessed with things outside of the person who seemingly showers them with affection day in and day out. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be the Joker's obsessed with Batman. He could even be in love with him, some people have theorized. And all the while, he has this kind of strange gal that seems to see eye to eye with him on a lot of things, but they have this this strange romance going on where she's like constantly throwing herself at him and he's just like too distracted <laughs> to, to pay her any mind. But then when it's convenient, they kind of like find each other and whatnot. It was just a thought. Yeah, maybe. I could see that. I mean, it's a similar dynamic explained in those terms. I could see that. I don't know enough about the characters to say for sure. But yeah, you've made a well, good... They have, they have gone through a lot of changes in recent years. I think it's because a lot of uh, comic authors and producers got wise to the fact that, like, oh, that's what an abusive relationship <laughs> looks like. Maybe we should not put that into our, our children's entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> so they uh, they kind of have distanced uh, those characters in recent years. I don't think the Joker is meant for children. Um, it just in general. Well, tell Warner Brothers that. <laughs> oh, I think they know that. Uh, um, but yeah, so they're going through and they've got the plan. So they're going to, they're going to move forward with that. But, uh, Joanna is about to go leave. She's getting her stuff all packed. And of course the, the judge is not too happy about that. Uh, so they, uh, he ends up sending her off and I assumed it was to the workhouse. I just, I, I had a feeling or maybe the loony bin. I'm not entirely sure. This might've been the era where it's like, that person's crazy. And like, whoop. Good enough for us. Uh, we'll, we'll just throw them in here in a room with a uh, hundred other people, and that'll be fine. No toilet. Yeah, <laughs> no toilet. Uh, <laughs> not that you'd want to use that toilet anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, in a place like that, it's like no toilet is the same as having a toilet. It You're not using it. I mean, this was back in the day where it's like you get a paper cut or, or a sliver, and it's like, well, I got uh, about a week to live. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh, it's Anyway. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, no shit. Yeah, you have a paper cut. Like, well, that is, that's it. That's it for me. <laughs> that's it for you. <laughs> um, and then we get some chair time. And uh, we get to see Sweeney uh, constructing his chair. Like, uh, he's, he's a fucking engineer. Dude, you shouldn't have been uh, a barber. Like, this guy should have been an engineer. Yeah, I'm not positive because uh, I listened to just an assortment of tracks not in any particular order i just kind of listened to the ones that struck my fancy uh today um of the stage version of the show but it i want to say that he was gifted the chair um by by the mrs lovett character in the stage version but in the movie uh we have another tim burtonism uh madness and creativity mm-hmm. uh we often see this uh, as an element in a lot of his films where somebody has some kind of break like a psychotic break of sorts or has an epiphany of sorts and it leads to a burst of creative energy i.e uh, Catwoman in a uh, batman returns mm-hmm. um very similarly we literally have a song called epiphany followed by a brief sequence of sweeney todd in the middle of the night f- just building a fucking mechanical chair and uh shoot uh into the basement of the building uh, so, like, he's, he's he's thinking ahead, man. He's mm. thinking about efficiency. <laughs> and and this, uh, this ends up being the best version of Joanna. Or, the, like, the one good version of Joanna. Because we have Anthony, like, he was supposed to meet her, but now he's just, like, singing down the streets because she's gone. He's going to go try to find her. And uh, Todd is singing also about Joanna because he's like, oh, my daughter's out there somewhere. And we're, I'm going to maybe get to see her. 
Uh, meanwhile, he is killing the fuck out of people in this, and it's pretty funny. Yeah, it, it's it's him kind of absentmindedly slicing people's throats, uh, and then he has a, a, a little plunger he depresses with his foot that like causes the chair to lean back and drop the body down a chute, and oh my god, the the uh the prosthetic oh, bodies they built for this like the disrespect i love it of of these bodies like falling head first onto the stone floor and it's just like oh wow that is awful <laughs> it's I, maybe this movie did it uh but it's kind of like why t- quentin tarantino's violence in his movies aside from django uh is kind of funny because it's so in your face and abrupt that you're just not expecting it. Like in this, it's kind of similar. Like it's funny watching the characters in the chair. Like they have no idea what's about to happen. It's really funny, and he's just like, Soop! and then you <laughs> press the lever, and then this body just boom, like just smacks on the floor, and it's like, holy shit, that is brutal, and it's happening yeah. in succession. Like it's just happening one right after the other. Yeah, it it is. It's sickly funny in its own it's in its own special way because like really the the physics of these bodies cascading onto the floor it's like somebody put a lot of love and effort into actually giving that that body like proper proportion and weight because the way it him impacts it's just like oh yeah <laughs> like that looks that looks real you'll move <laughs> that looks un- yeah yeah <laughs> you'll move in your seat like oh shit like yeah, yeah i felt it, that it's it's unnervingly real um and in fact i would not be surprised if uh, some of the people who have worked with tarantino worked on these effects um greg nicotero i think is his go-to guy for gore effects and mm. prosthetics and stuff um but one thing that i thought was interesting about the behind the scenes of this was that the the color grading of this film i as kyle and i had pointed out it, it's like borderline monochromatic at times like uh, the reds are especially red, but for the most part, it's it's almost just like black and white. Um, and yeah. Helena Bottom Carter and Johnny Depp in particular, the way they're made up, they they look like they're from the Corpse Bride. Yeah, like they have like ashen eyelids and and uh, just pale white complexion to an extreme. Um, but apparently, to to make the blood look correct, and and it is stunning on film. Uh, it was it was like orange colored. Mm-hmm. like while they were filming it and then through combination of uh film stock and lensing and post-processing uh we got what we got but apparently on the day of it was more orange tinged interesting uh, which, it's kind of funny the idea of like tang coming out of a guy's throat <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i i did note that i thought it was funny that like even though he's kind of like absent-mindedly like half-heartedly like slicing throats and stuff he still takes the time to like go through the facade of like lathering up their face and putting the towel on them it's like why not just fucking do it it's like no it, it wouldn't be right i need to do that i'm still a barber at the end of the day yeah i mean because then they're disarmed they're not exp- like if you if you're just laying back and then you felt that razor like oh shit i don't have the stuff on yet i gotta it makes sense you gotta actually brush it on there I just uh, thought it was funny. It's like, man, you're gonna ring up quite the laundry bill, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, like, how many towels you got? You wasted six aprons on this guy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, seriously, this is how you run a business, Mister Todd. Yeah. yeah. These <laughs> add up. These add up. <laughs> These towels. This is not how business is done, Mister Todd. <laughs> That's uh, what Toby should have been doing in between scenes. Seriously. <laughs> hey, this ain't cool. This shit don't wash out. Not uh, easily, anyway. Yeah, and then like a little segue is. Uh, 
the uh, there's black smoke coming out of the uh, out of the restaurant slash barber shop, and this uh, lady, this crazy lady, is like mischief, mischief, sign of the devil. <clears throat> and this is where like I still didn't know. Should, did we already spoil it? Did we already tell the the listeners? Uh, I don't think we did. Do you think I don't think we did. Do you think we should wait until the end? I mean, you were surprised. Yeah. Well, Let's try to make it a surprise. Well, hopefully we didn't just give it away. Um, <laughs> there yeah. is a surprise involving yeah. the mischief lady. Yeah, the, the mischief lady is like uh, like all freaking out. She's like, there's something bad going on here. It's a really creepy little song. Uh, she reminds me of Judy Greer a little bit. Like, just... Uh, you took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. Because uh, her, her, you know, at when we see her at earlier points in the movie, like, it's like, yeah, I see a resemblance here. In fact, I was like, is that her? And then I was like, oh, that's how no, not her. Different, different, <laughs> different nose. Um, but yes, then we get our, uh, the, the God that's good. We get the, um, the church bells again, like the, it almost sounded like Christmas music at first, but yeah, this is the ladies and gentlemen, uh, can I have your attention yeah. please? Yeah. Uh, we, we revisit, the melody of uh, Pirelli's Miracle Elixir. Yeah. Uh, except for now, Toby works uh, for Mrs. Lovett uh, making pies, or Mrs. at least selling pies. Yeah. He doesn't make the pies. No. He's only allowed to sell them. But he it's the same melody, but with different lyrics. Now he's, now he's shilling pies to the public, to the masses, uh, and it's a rousing success. Yeah. And it doesn't take a genius to figure out that, oh, the bodies that are going down the chute are now being put in the pies, and people like them. Yeah. They're hot ticket in town but this this was the song that i noticed uh drastically differs from the stage version in that because the choral element is omitted because we don't have uh characters outside of our core cast uh contributing to the vocals um the title of the song kyle is not the lyrics aren't in this this film version of the song Mm. Um, because the chorus is is saying God, that's good in between like all the other goings on uh, during this sequence. And the stage version of this is as manic as this is in the film version. The stage version is bonkers. Is it? Like it's it it's nutty. Like like it's like there are way too many fucking p- plates being spun here. It's it's nuts. In fact, it's like I'd kind of be curious to actually see what it looks like because there's a a lot going on here. Um, but even as it stands in the film version, this is a very busy sequence where we we like maneuver through the bustling restaurant, and the whole time Mrs. Lovett is yelling at Toby to like in between all the singing, like get the old woman out. I, lo- I love the break, <laughs> Toby. Throw the old woman out. Yeah, it's- yeah. <laughs> so it's it's of prime importance that the old woman uh, get kicked out every now and again. She keeps trying to creep back in, and. Uh, at one point, there's a fun gag where they she puts up the sold out yeah. sign, and then like she sees Todd upstairs with a customer, and she's like, "Oh, let's let's flip that back around. She goes, It'll just be a minute." She goes, ah, fresh supplies. And she sees the dude yes. going up, which is which is pretty cool. But yeah, yeah that, it's great. It's a it's a smashing success. Uh, this whole this whole <laughs> operation that they got, um, and then we get. Um, I think it's a fun little sequence, and it's the most Tim Burton esque scene that we get in the film. Like it. The rest of the movie doesn't really feel like a Tim Burton film, like aesthetically. Um, it feels like he's playing in someone else's toy box, yeah. honestly. And but but that's a sign of respect that somebody with such a, a distinct style and flavor respects the source material enough to just tell the damn story mm-hmm. instead of just like make it all about me and my stuff. 
Yeah, <clears throat> I like this uh, by the sea sequence. Um, I like. I thought this was really sweet. <laughs> I, I I liked it. Uh, the the yeah. the second half of the movie really does it. It it kind of it gets you a little emotional. There's some there's some shit going on. Um, but yeah, uh, I like how she's like kind of thinking about the success of the business. Like, there's some longevity in this, and maybe even go legitimate, <laughs> like actually afford meat. Um, but she's like, "Did you hear me?" And she's like, "What did I say?" He's just like. There's got to be a way to the judge. She's like, God damn it. Like, this dude is not going <laughs> to yeah, enjoy it, her success at all. It almost feels like a cartoon. It does. Like, this whole sequence. It because, very like, much is. We, we have them out on a picnic, and it's like one of the, the only time we've been away from Fleet Street and the gloom of London. And they're just like in a field under a tree, and they're having a picnic. And yeah. she's like smooching them on the cheek. And she's so overjoyed with how things are going. But like his posture yeah. is just like. <laughs> just hunched over brooding yeah it's just like he's he's just in his own headspace and and like the joker he's just he's all about getting that batman <laughs> and she's just like rattling off all of her fantasies all of her plans for the future and as kyle said she keeps having these moments where she's like like are, are you listening to me like did you hear this and actually like she's like do you want to hear about it do you want to hear about what i i have planned for the future and and he's just like, of course. Yeah. <laughs> like, just completely flat affect. He doesn't even make eye contact. And what follows is a, an extended sequence, like a three-minute musical number called By the Sea of uh, Mrs. Levitt uh, fantasizing about them living a semi-normal, happy life together, uh, like getting married and getting a house and, like, keeping Toby in their company. And But the whole time, what's fun about it is that she's – she's herself in this fantasy and they're going to all these exotic places and stuff um but todd is very much the same todd that we saw preceding the fantasy yeah so he's thoroughly disengaged and not at all interested but he's just present for everything and then them at the altar together like getting mm-hmm. married like the he's just like like do you take this woman he's just like I guess. yeah I guess. <laughs> he's like sure <laughs> sure <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm like I think he's clinically depressed. I don't think uh, I don't think he's in a he's ever gonna be happy. Yeah, he has he has a little bit of a preoccupation. Well, did, some other things. Did you notice that her plan does not include Joanna? It, it includes Toby. So yes, yeah, not really nice. Yeah, she's not she doesn't give two shits about Joanna. No. Uh, I don't even know if she speaks that character's name. I don't think um, she does. Yeah, but the the visuals. You're absolutely right. Do have a very Tim Burton-y feel here during the By the Sea number. Uh, in, in particular, their old-timey uh, swimsuit. swimsuits. Yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, that, that, I mean, it, he didn't do the Adams Family, but it's very much like an Uncle Fester and, and Gomez Adams outfit. Well, the Beetle, it's a Beetlejuice striped. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the monochrome striped. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, but yeah. Uh, but after this, we uh, we hatch a plan. There's uh, We get some kind of plan here where we're going to uh get joanna and then have them run away or something like that and uh, he gets toby he's he gets toby to take a letter to the judge he's like i need you to take this letter to the judge don't stop and do anything else but this has to happen yeah uh, somehow antony's uh world collides with todd once again probably because he gets wise to the fact that the girl that he really 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 wants to bang like really wants to bang um is his daughter um and they have you know similar interests in that regard like they they both want to free joanna in some way but um 
Todd very quickly comes up with the plan that he's like, ah, well, she's been placed in an asylum, and uh, where do you think wigs come from? It's like, well, they shave the heads of insane people and then repackage them as uh, purchasable goods. So he, I guess, uh, organizes the means to insert Anthony into the institution as a uh, wig maker's apprentice. Uh, so he's like, I can get you in there. All you gotta do is get her out. And then, like Kyle had mentioned, uh, we send Toby to inform the judge that, uh, almost like preemptively, that the daughter's been sprung uh, from the institution and is being brought to his his premises. Uh, so basically, he's Todd is scheming to bring all, all of the important elements under one roof yeah. uh, so he can get at the judge finally. Um, and in between all this, uh, Toby, he does deliver the letter, but at the same time, he has a gut feeling about Mr. Todd mm-hmm. as being a no-good Nick. And he has uh, no and real basis for this. It's, it kind of comes out of nowhere. I, I have a feeling there may have been more in the stage version or something. Because, yeah, uh, this was a weird moment in the narrative where like, even the girlfriend, who is pretty familiar with the stage version anyway, was like, hang on what why <laughs> like, like it feels like a little bit of a skip beat but you, you quickly pick it up afterwards it, it it just feels like somebody got a little bit lazy here or something well it could have it could have easily just like noticed that people go into the barber shop and don't come back out and he just kind of like scratches his head that like a child's like huh i don't understand well, i know for a fact in the stage version um that something that the toby character does is he asks repeatedly earlier in the story to help make the pies Ah. but he's disallowed from doing it but this is something that isn't added in the film until like the last act so it it isn't a it isn't relevant to the story it's something that would have been nice to have had there earlier but again like it doesn't really hurt the thing it's just like a little bit of a hiccup is all yeah and then this is where we get toby's sweet little song uh not while i'm around basically he's just like Mrs. Lovett, you you know you're so nice. I don't trust that Mr. Todd, but you know you you took me in. This is the best life I could have ever had, and I'm not like I I'm going to protect you no matter what, like because you've done something really special here. Yeah, it's a really sweet number. Uh, it's it's kind of intimate the w- the way they frame it because mm-hmm. it's just like her relaxing in the living room basically, and and he almost like serenades her or yeah. something. Um, but there's a there's a fun little switch moment where it goes from him reassuring her to her suddenly reassuring him because he notices that she has mr pirelli's change purse and she gets very hurried all of a sudden and you can see you can see the gears turning in her head as she's almost like singing like it's almost like a lullaby it's this it's basically the same lyrics he was singing to her but from a different perspective um, but basically she's reassuring him and then she quickly pivots to like, Hey, so you want to know how to make pies? Yeah. <laughs> well, she starts like, she starts to tear up when he's like, he's singing to her. Then she starts to tear up as she's singing to him. Um, Speak. Yeah. It's, it, it's the character and you know, this is good filmmaking, good acting. Yeah. Uh, this is the character expressing that like, Oh, he's asking all the wrong, wrong questions, questions. Yeah. and this is no good because she already expressed and, this is something that is you know useful when it comes to musicals is that in terms of like where characters are at emotionally and psychologically we just talk it out yeah (laughs) we just straight up fucking tell you what we're feeling and you know not that long ago we just had a whole three minute musical number about how over the moon she was about living by the sea with mr todd and 
yeah it's not too much of a stretch to assume that you know she will do a, a lot to make sure that that comes true oh uh, just, just to survive honestly because it seems like pretty desperate times uh, i mean those cats are those cats are damn fast they're fast right? those are fast cats <laughs> um yeah this is where we get anthony at the workhouse he goes in and it's not uh o'brien that is uh, taking him through the workhouse but he's just like yeah i want a blonde wig so they go in goes around it's just like 50 or 60 uh women just in a, a room uh with no light basically and he's like, that's the one there. Um, but then he pulls a gun on the dude, and he's like, yeah, dude, I'm taking her with me, and these girls are going to eat you, basically. Uh, and we get out of there pretty quick. Yeah, it like the visuals of it make it seem like, oh, well, it looked like a zombie horde attacking Yeah. <laughs> so I wouldn't be surprised if they straight up ate him. But yeah, uh, we free Joanna, and he like puts her in a like male dress, so she has a big big old hat and like a big baggy coat so he's trying to disguise her appearance and whatnot um and then they head back to the barbershop uh they head back to todd's place and i'm a little hazy on exactly the logistics of how this plays out because we get a lot of there's a lot, a of, lot of shenanigans like this yeah. turns into an episode of fraser with razor blades <laughs> so <laughs> so what's gonna happen is is he has to go find todd but todd's down in the in the in the yeah, they're looking for Toby because yeah. uh, Mrs. Lovett takes Toby down into the into the oven area, or the basement oh, of the building. Sorry. Uh, so they're planning to kill Toby, Toby, but Beetle shows up, and Beetle's like, "I've heard that they're like people are saying that the smell is foul, and this is part of my job." And he's like, "Well, I need to go down there for like go downstairs." He's like, "Won't you come up for a shave?" He's like, "No, no, no." He's like, "I've got some new cologne. The ladies will love it." He's like, "Well, okay." And this is where we get the gag of. Uh, uh, this is where Toby find, he's eating a pie. She's like, you can have as many pies as you like, and he eats a toe. And then right about that time, Beetle just comes dropping down. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So the the jig is up. Yeah. Toby Toby knows the ruse, um, but the the timing of like all the visual information imparted is really good. Where like uh, Mrs. Lovett locks him down there, and like she actually, it's it's neat how they tow that line where she actually like lovingly shows him all the steps that like how to do all the how to work all the the gears and stuff down there she's like this is the oven and this is the crank that makes the human hamburger (laughs) and then she locks him in there yeah and while he's down there he he helps himself to a pie and yeah he finds a toe and then he finds like just a whole bunch of rotted corpses in the back room and then yeah the the beetle just bam just (laughs) splats in the middle of the room and it's pretty great he runs off and hides uh todd and mrs levitt go downstairs and while they're downstairs uh in the where they cook the pies that's when joanna and uh anthony get upstairs he's like you wait here i gotta go find mr todd and that's why that's when she's just kind of like yeah he goes to look for todd and she goes and hides in the trunk when todd comes back yeah uh, that's right but now they're downstairs looking for toby um but he's he's hiding um yeah he he escaped via a sewer grate and uh we have a reprise of uh the song that he had just sung to her uh, to mrs lovett the like not while i'm around yeah it's, and it's like it's really sad it's sad because she's she's trying she's explicitly trying to off this kid now yeah and i like that uh in the in the stage version todd is like singing along with her mm-hmm. like toby uh, but in the, in the film version giant depth toby singing yeah he's, he's just like toby toby he's doing the dad yeah he's the he's doing the turn off those damn lights your mother's looking <laughs> for you yeah um but, hey, are you wearing socks 
<laughs> yeah, this is where it all kind of happens really fast, where we've got uh, the the crazy lady comes upstairs like, little duckling, little duckling, looking for this girl. And the girl hides in the trunk, and that's when uh, she's kind of like going through the apartment, and that's when Todd just kind of shows up. Like, he's just kind of standing in the doorway. Um, and then he's like, he hears a scream downstairs. Uh, I think No, something happens where he... Uh, sl- I think it's the judge showing up. Or something along those he lines. He hasn't gotten there yet uh, because she uh, she looks at him. She's like, "Don't I?" Oh, I, I yeah, I I think the judge actually gets killed before something. <laughs> it's after, so it goes. Beetle gets killed, and then she's like, "Don't I know you, Mister?" And she he just like, "I don't have fucking time for this." Slits her throat, and then sends her down on top of Beetle, and that's when the judge yeah. just kind of bu- bursts in. Yeah, the judge bursts in, but yeah, the 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 lonely uh, street urchin woman, uh, she. She comes in under the pretense of looking for Beetle because she saw him go in, never saw him come out. Um, and Joanna's like witnessed all of this, so she she sees Todd slash her throat, and then yeah, just quickly press the shoot, and she falls straight down. And then the judge comes back, and we get a reprise of the pretty women number because he, like everyone else in this, uh, convinces him for a sh- to get a shave. Mm-hmm. You know, ten minutes before he grabs his ward. <laughs> my my ward as he calls her um and yeah he gets him back in the chair and uh we have a reprise of the pretty women number uh, it's lovely once again although this time uh they get wise to each other uh the judge he basically todd can't help himself yeah. he's 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 like not indulging himself. yeah yeah he, he's like i'm not missing this opportunity twice and so he he basically mentions and he did this the first time they encountered each other too he basically mentions like oh yeah i bet she was really i bet i bet she's really hot like her mom and he's like what what <laughs> like he's like that's a really inappropriate that's, thing to say he's like yes but that's out of line uh <laughs> um but um, i love this yeah. where he the realization he's like oh shit Monte Cristo. Uh, this is where he's like benjamin barker i i like his delivery where he he screams Benjamin Bark. It's it's a good delivery. It, it he turns into a fucking demon on it, him. Pretty excellent. Like I said, like we yeah. don't we don't get a lot of like Johnny Depp yelling, but this is probably his best like better deliveries. No, he he went to the the Brad Dourif school of rage mm-hmm. uh, for this particular moment because yeah, there is some teeth gnashing and it is not a pretty delivery. It's just like it, what's my name? <laughs> but even the way he kills him is like, dude, you're slicing you're slicing your hand cuz he doesn't do a slit. He is stabbing him in the neck with this thing. It's pretty great. Yeah, folks, he, he's stabbing him. Yeah. With the top of a straight razor. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's, it takes some effort. It takes some elbow grease to get it done. It's like cuz he felt nothing for all those other people. It's just like this yeah. is this is just mechanical. I'm just going yeah. through the motions. This is real rage where it's just I'm getting my hands on this person. And uh yeah. Yeah. It it is it's it lives up to what the moment should be cuz yeah. like, you know, we spent a whole movie waiting for this or at least the character has been waiting for this and yeah, he lets him have it and then he gives him a clean cut at the end just to make sure yeah still not good enough apparently no. but but yeah he drops him down the chute just like everybody else and the the music gives like a great sigh like ah uh, like catharsis release then he realizes there's a person in in the trunk and he's like thinks it's a boy and he's like uh this is kind of interesting it doesn't really work 
Uh, I feel like you didn't even need this, but I think it's just supposed to get us as the audience like, oh shit, is he about to kill his own daughter? Not realizing. But he's about to kill her, basically, and then he hears a scream downstairs, and he's just like, forget me, like, forget my face, and then runs out and like, dude, you just killed a judge. Maybe he's elated, like, he's just so high off of the kill. Like, he's not, he doesn't even have that rage anymore. Like, I feel like I need to take care of this person. Yeah, it, it, it kind of points to that, but yeah, it, it was it was an unusual moment because yeah, he tells her like forget my face, and I think it's supposed to be this like big poignant moment, but I feel like there could have been just like a little bit more of a punch there or something. Yeah. But yeah, he just he storms out of the room and then he heads down to the basement and discovers that Alan Rickman apparently did not completely die; he was only mostly dead. Um, he was groping at a Mrs. Lovett's dress yeah um, <laughs> even in death he was a lecher yeah. <laughs> she's like but yeah she he, he's dead now but like uh, he didn't get him all the way there uh with with the impact of falling down the chute yeah she's just kind of like oh he was yelling uh he was like he comes out says what happens like oh he was yelling but he's fine now but she realizes that he killed the late the the beggar lady so she's just like oh all right, well, he's like trying to pull her to the furnace, and she says, "Let's just get this over with. Come on, like we need to we need to hurry up." And she opens up the oven, and the light hits this lady, and something becomes apparent to uh, to Sweeney Todd. Uh, yeah, uh, it's the. It needs to be said. This is basically the first time in the movie that a uh, this character has been seen in proper lighting Mm -hmm. like they've been like they've been covered in in pounds of makeup and also shown exclusively in shadow up to this point um but yeah having the oven door open cast firelight onto their face um and even if you the audience goer like even if you the the audience don't quite realize it in the instance the characters do and uh yeah uh this is sweeney todd uh, aka benjamin barker's uh, former wife Mm mm-hmm who was not dead of poison uh, years ago. Uh, apparently, the poison only mostly mostly affected her, her brain and drove her a little batty, but she's been living on the streets and very much in the neighborhood uh, the whole time Todd's been back in town. Yeah. And uh, information that would have been useful to me yesterday. Well, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know if... I think... I honestly think that she kind of did the right thing here. It's unfortunate that she was, like, still around there. Like, I don't know how she thought she was going to get away with that. Like, eventually he was going to see her. But, like, yeah, if she tried to kill herself and she went nuts and she's not going to come back to any kind of normalcy, like, maybe just don't tell him. They cover their tracks a little bit in the form of her last words being, don't I know you, sir? Yeah. So she's, like, starting to become lucid um but he slits her throat before they can go any further than that so we'll never know um but the point is mrs lovett was fully aware of what she was doing yeah because as as i had said during one of her earliest musical numbers in the movie benjamin she thought benjamin barker was beautiful b-e-a-utiful um and she clearly had a thing for him and with mrs barker out of the way she kind of saw her chance to pounce and make yeah. a move uh so she's covetous 
Yeah. <laughs> and this is where we uh, we get a callback to a few different songs too. Yes. During this, many uh, many songs. Yeah. Uh, like different melodies because like she's super scared because he's kind of coming at her, but he also is just like, no, 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 it's fine. I completely understand. You had to do what you had to do, and then they start dancing like everything's okay, and then we get a callback to the uh, little priest where they're singing together, and that's why I like that. I like that song going back and like oh because I know when it comes up again it's fucking it's dark so yeah they're 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 dancing around and you can tell from his voice that he's a bit angry uh, when he's singing at this time and I love the it it's telegraphing it so clearly uh, the way this scene like plays out but when you get to it it is brutal I think that's where they they can overcome like the obviousness of the moment mm-hmm. is by over delivering on the payoff oh yeah where it's like oh yeah whoa we, we didn't need to see all that but we did mm. <laughs> yeah um but yeah long story short uh the two of them kind of the the music does a really good job of wavering back and forth between threatening and pleasant yeah, yeah. it's like his tone suggests that he's a little pissed off but um she keeps having these interjections where she's very hurriedly kind of like revisiting previous songs as kyle had said like she revisits the waiting song and and even the poor thing song basically she's trying to calm him down yeah um and then they're like dancing around like they're doing like a waltz together and then long story short he tosses her ass into that oven yeah (laughs) and uh this is the moment i had mentioned this is not the first time i have seen helena bonham carter set on fire while wearing a gothic dress uh the first time would of course be uh, Frankenstein, Kenneth Branagh's Frankenstein, <laughs> uh, wherein, wherein she is immolated while wearing a gothic dress. <laughs> I've seen that. I do not remember that movie at all. Oh, that movie! That movie is a guilty pleasure, Kyle. That movie makes me laugh and laugh and laugh. Hmm. It's not meant to, but it makes me laugh. <laughs> kind of like Cloud Atlas. Yeah. Uh, I guess that would be your equivalent <laughs> um cloud atlas i've only subjected myself to once i did not get a whole lot out of that although the true true is something that is so much fun to say but but yeah kenneth Branagh's frankenstein just tickles me in all the best of ways it's like if one is going to be doing acts of science they must be greased oiled and shirtless yes <laughs> thus is the only way to perform good science <laughs> yeah and uh, just the mel- the melodrama of that movie. It just has these sweeping moments where everything matters. <laughs> might have to go back and watch it. Uh, you should. It's it's hilarious. It's not traditional. It's not good in the traditional sense, but I do derive entertainment from it. And it's a handsome movie on top of that. I also want to rewatch uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, this is be I, the. I got the 4K. Oof. Oh. I'm I'm gonna crack that shit open you in October. Crack that open. It's October now, dude. You need to get on that. You only got. Yeah. Get get <laughs> yeah. it going. It's time for some Dracula. <laughs> yeah. You should get the pizza for that. Um. But yeah. Oh yeah. But we get this uh this really this this moment where he's just laying with her. Um. She's dead. You know. And he's just you know, just destroyed at what's happened. And um, Toby's kind of sneaking up, and I think he picks up the razor, and, like, Todd's aware that he's behind, like, he kind of is aware, and it just happens, yeah, Toby ends up uh, slitting his throat, and it's really a, uh, like, like I said, like, the last 20 minutes of this movie are kind of like an emotional roller coaster, especially the first time seeing it, um, just going through, like, 
everything that's happened. And this was, it, it's a really nice ending shot. This, this last shot that we have, and it's a perfect way to end it. And that it just, it leaves it there. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's Todd cradling his, his former wife in his arms. And, uh, because his throat has been slashed by Toby, who, by the way, now has like the darkened eyelids, kind of like the people that he was just like shacking up with. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and blood is pouring out of his neck wound onto the face of his wife, who is very, very, very dead. At yeah, this she point. is dead as fuck. Yeah. But I really appreciate the restraint they showed in having Toby not say a, a word. Nothing. Yeah. Because because all, all of the intent, all, all of the character math has been like the equation's complete by now it's like he had an entire musical number just talking about how much he loved mrs lovett we just saw him bear witness to what happened to mrs lovett yeah we don't need him to reiterate that we we already know and so everything that everything he does from that point makes perfect sense Mm -hmm. um and i don't need to know what became of him or anything like that but um yeah the music has a solemn tone to it it revisits the the opening instrumental track um that i opened the film and i interestingly enough like the the omission of the core like the chorus uh, the greek chorus element of the film version omits like one of its like most famous numbers like one of its most famous songs and it's the ballad of sweeney todd which traditionally opens the stage version we get an instrumental version of it to open the film but there's no lyrics set to it beginning or end i didn't watch all of the credits i got like two-thirds of the way through the credits i i thought it would have been kind of neat to end the movie with that because mm-hmm. it basically just tells the tale tales a tale of sweeney todd yeah i know that yeah it, it's exactly that um, it, it's it's a very very famous song um but it's completely omitted from this which is kind of shocking it's like one of your more famous songs is not even in the movie version um but yeah i, I thought this this ending was like showed a lot of restraint you could almost feel the curtains closing because because it shows so much restraint because there's so little dialogue and the music kind of plays you out um yeah i I thought it was a very effective ending and apparently the the stage version ends with a lot of singing Uh, it ends with like the ghosts of all the characters like shedding their costumes and like telling the the epilogue of sweeney todd and then it ends with sweeney todd like making a face at the audience and then everybody does their curtain call or whatever but like i said it's like you could you could almost feel the curtain being drawn on that image of of johnny depp cradling his his dead wife yeah um but yeah that's that's the end of the movie uh only gripe that i have really is the font on the uh i i do i don't know what it is i never noticed that kind of thing that's just not something i pay attention to but now I do notice when it sticks out, and I don't know what it is about this font. It just does not match the film, if you know what I mean. It's a little, uh, I don't know, if, if maybe friendly is the right word. Like, it's a little too friendly or yeah. something. Like, it feels like it should be grungier or something. Or it's like they didn't even consider it. They just, like, picked a font. Like, that works. Yeah, fine. It it does have like a little bit of a placeholder vibe to it. Like it, it feels like it could have used a couple more iterations before we got to the final one. But that's a that's a it's an important detail actually because a, a font is oftentimes the image you associate with a with a brand or with a franchise. So you really got to be on top of that stuff. I'm looking at you, James Cameron, Papyrus. Papyrus. Have you? Se- are you fucking kidding? Have me? you seen that <laughs> SNL sketch sketch with uh, Ryan Gosling? I have. Oh, you you sent it to me That's a, so a couple funny. years ago. 
it's fantastic because it's true it's like jeez. his reaction was like they're making another they're making a second one so they changed the font uh it looks the same um but no like if i i didn't i didn't direct the zodiac uh the uh david fincher film um obviously but um i'm like if you're gonna i didn't see the font but i would feel like that would be a time to use courier like the courier font font that would be appropriate for that because it's mostly about newspaper it's mostly about uh newspaper clippings and letters that they get um but i don't i don't remember what the font was in the in that but it doesn't even really matter um what did you think about the movie all to all 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 said and done i quite enjoyed it like i more and more i'm realizing like you know tim burton is like i I was raised on tim burton yeah like a lot of us were and it's one of those things that as more time goes by, it's like, you know, maybe we should all get off our high horses and stop talking shit about the guy. And Who's maybe talking just, like, shit? Ignore... Who? People that, that key in on Alice in Wonderland and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory just a little too harshly, where it's like, that's why I was so keen on going over his filmography before we got into things, is because it's like, I think the guy has speed bumps. I don't think he has like entire eras of failure in his filmography i think he just misses occasionally that's fine but for the most part he does some pretty amazing shit in fact like he didn't have his first miss until pretty deep into it um so i the more i think about it's like you know i i i feel like i should try to check my cynicism at the door and whatever he's got next maybe try to be excited about it instead of critical because I, f- I feel like he is a talented guy and the only reason i'm able to point out so many of his quirks and tendencies is because apparently i really enjoy the guy's work and yeah. pay special close attention to it so uh this was a lot of fun for me to catch up on because uh, this this was a like one that i knew to be good but from an era where he was i don't know in question in regards to like his his strengths as a filmmaker so this is this is like affirming it's like mm-hmm. no he still had it the whole time it's just he he missed yeah it happens you miss sometimes <laughs> yeah uh, so yeah this was a lot of fun for me I, I quite enjoyed it and i mean for fuck's sake apparently i enjoyed the music enough to listen to like two-thirds of the goddamn stage version <laughs> yeah so, I, so apparently I, I liked it yeah i'm not gonna do that i'll take your word for it no, i don't <laughs> expect you to kyle although um maybe you should check out uh uh what's it god that's good just to see the difference okay because it's it's radically different from the film version it has so much like as energetic as it is in the film and the stage one it's it's fucking nutty <laughs> it's, it's a lot um but yeah I, I hope you had as much fun as i did coming back to it yeah this isn't one i watch every year uh around this time it's just one that i like i do like to revisit from time to time okay well i think uh i think that's about it for sweeney todd then yeah. uh, next week uh we're going to be having a mutual catching up yes uh, uh don't yeah. forget i'm actually gonna drop that off at your apartment when i go to the gym this next week uh so you don't have to rent it i i own it, it oh wow it, i appreciate that it's a criterion blind buy and i'm actually gonna get to it it's like the one of the few criterion blind buys i'm gonna get to i'm still sitting on uh i'm still sitting on a few so it'd be nice to check yeah. this one off yeah you and a brad from the cinema speak suffer from the same affliction you know <laughs> i do the same thing jump on those jump on those criterion sales yep. and just put it on the shelf yeah put it on the shelf <laughs> same with books if i see a book used book then i'm like oh i want to read that one day i'm just getting it 
Just get it. Yeah, I mean, at least you're going with a sure bet, though, because as we tend to say, if it's in the Criterion Collection, it's probably worth your time. Yes. Uh, so next week we'll be reviewing uh, a Polish yes. horror musical. Yes. Uh, in the form of, uh, was it from 2013, 2015, around there? I think it's 2015, yeah. Uh, it's called The Lure. Yeah. And it's apparently about mermaids. Mm-hmm. It's apparently a horror musical. Mermaider. Mermaid murder. But more importantly, it is in the Criterion Collection. Therefore, we're most assuredly in for an interesting experience. Yeah. An <laughs> experience of some kind. Yes. <laughs> so that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. But, uh, in the meantime, this has been our review of Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street from 2007, directed by Tim Burton. And uh, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other Catching Up on Cinema content, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, we also have a couple of social media accounts in the form of an Instagram, at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as a Twitter, at Catching Cinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those. And the show is available on pretty much any podcasting platform you can imagine, including Cephalopod. So fucking Google that shit. Google it. With that being said, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time.